Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's my gangbu, it's Arturo Zurita. I was hoping I was going to be your sandworm in IMAX 70 millimeter, but I'll, I'll take whatever that one is, Zach. You heard Excited about the sandworm? Here. Everybody's talking about this sandworm. It's huge. It's a big guy. Yeah, it, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> I hear it's massive. <laughs> <laughs> but we will be talking about Dune because one of us got to see it a bit early along with a bunch of other movies in this October festival season that is jam-packed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. Uh, keep the hits keep coming with New York Film Festival. I gotta say, uh, I've been going to the New York Film Festival for several years, and I kind of feel like this has been one of their better selections in, in a while. It just so many films from so many filmmakers I like, so many interesting works, a lot of stuff that I'm really excited for you to also catch up with as well. Because I know you've got your own local film festival coming around, bringing a lot of good stuff your way mm-hmm. soon. So. Uh, it'll it'll be fun to talk about all these fun fall movies uh, in a little bit. We will get into Dune, into the Last Duel, and wrap up my New York Film Festival coverage. Uh, but first, let's make sure that you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com/slash/IntercutPod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also. Follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are at Intercut Pod. That's at Intercut P-O-D. That's short for podcast. We are also on Patreon at Intercut Pod, where you can support the show for as little as $1 a month. Please be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I also think you can now leave us a five-star review on Spotify. I hear they're uh, adding that review feature to the podcast over there. So, you know, that's a great way to support the show. You know, let people know that there's maybe maybe there's some quality here. Maybe you enjoy the listen. Hopefully you enjoy (laughs) the listen. I don't really want to know if you don't don't enjoy the listen that much. But, uh, yeah. Eh, let us know it's engagement. <laughs> just don't, just don't let us know in the iTunes comments. Like you can, you can email me. You can hit me up on social media. That's fine. But like that, that iTunes rating, it just, it hits a little bit deeper. So, so it's too precious. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, we don't have to like comp, uh, compromise we'll, we'll that just to make a statement. Okay. You know, we're not, we're not that big. Uh, anyway, yeah. please leave us a five star review. Whether wherever you can do that, when. You do that, it makes me happier than finding out Paul Thomas Anderson's finally making a movie that's under two hours long. Not that I don't love a chance to watch three hours of Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, Magnolia is one of my favorite movies ever. Basically, everything he does is some of my favorites. But, like, a nice, tight, under two-hour movie, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Although you It has to be because... You go ahead. Ridley is coming in with... Three days worth of a movie in Gucci, so <laughs> makes sense. He, he he saw what the fall festivals had uh, in store for us, and he's like, "Let me make mine the the soft one." Exactly. Also, is that a Heim sister? Yeah, that's uh, the one of the Heims in uh, Licorice Pizza. Uh, I believe that's how you say. It. Yeah, I was looking at that. I was like, "Who are these actors?" And then at the end, it says Heim, and I was like, "I only know three Heims, and I believe they're all sisters." So interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, not only one of the Heims, we got Cooper Hoffman, the the son of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, in that movie. So. A lot of really exciting stuff. I, I'm, I'm super excited for that's the lead. Pizza, if you can't tell, yeah, that's the lead kid. Man, uh, Gandolfini's kid, uh, <laughs> Jamie Foxx's kid. It's in that yeah. commercial with him. Everybody's kids. Nepotism, alive Hansen. and thriving. Wow. 
I don't, I, I, you know, I can't mind it in the case of Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, I don't know if you ever caught the, I think it was the Mark Maron podcast that Paul Thomas Anderson did where he said when he first saw Philip Seymour Hoffman, he, he thought, um, that guy is for me and I'm for him. And like, they just have this beautiful career working together. Anything that can, uh, can keep that legacy alive makes me happy. Makes the film fan of me happy. We'll see how it goes. Yep. Anyway, uh, let's get into it. The way we start it pretty much every week here on the Intercut Podcast with what we're watching. Art, why don't you kick us off with what you've been watching? Nothing but James Bond. I'd play the music in the background if it wouldn't get us copywritten, but dude, James Bond, James Bond, James Bond. I've been, I didn't go back to all of them, but uh, we've been rewatching all of the Craig Bonds, uh, total of five, his set completed. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get into too many spoilers here, but I was very excited for this one. This is the one that had been delayed. Uh, Kerry Fukunaga supposedly being the first American to ever come in to direct one of these Bonds in the conclusion for the Craig saga. I really enjoyed it, man. Uh, I think it was worth the wait. I think it definitely needed to be waited because I don't know uh, how much of the plot is out there. Obviously, it's James Bond trying to finish you know, one of his other missions as he's maybe going to fall in love as he supposedly has no time to die. But the whole premise of this movie does not work if it came out in the middle of last year, bro. It is about, uh, let's say, spreading a virus that can target people. And them not even knowing. A silent killer. Jam-packed in a theater that would not have worked. I, I, obviously, I was surrounded by people who were probably there for the first Bond. They were coughing. I was like, sir, please stop coughing because one cough from me and you're probably not going to be here. But the premise to this movie would have been bonkers to have released last year. So I'm glad that they you know, were able to save it the year. I'm glad that it is in theaters. I saw it in IMAX. The whopping two scenes that were shot in IMAX, which are early on in the movie, were fantastic. The rest of it, sadly, is not shot in IMAX. But I, I, think, I think still delivers up to... Um, a pretty good finale for Craig's Bond. But I know that Bond fans in general are a little mixed in it. And I think that's a positive, Zach, because yeah. that means that if you are just a casual viewer, uh, and, and I think even if you are a Bond fan, you may not like all the decisions that are being made, but they're making decisions. They are doing new stuff that you've never seen in another Bond movie. Good or bad? I don't know. Time will tell. Uh, but I am very curious to see how they're going to expand this whether they're going to reboot soon, whether they're going to continue with the characters that they do have and have almost like a James Bond spin-off that doesn't include James Bond. It's not like you don't have plenty of characters as well. Mm -hmm. um, you could also bring them back. There's plenty of missions in between. But uh, personally, I thought all of the characters uh, in this movie were enjoyable. Um, I thought that the action lived up to it, so much so that I ended up seeing this a second time Wow. In a format called 4DX. <laughs> I haven't seen a 4DX movie since uh, the horse one that Denzel was in and Chris Pratt. Uh, and, and all the seat did. It was the reboot, Magnificent Magnificent 7. And yeah, all yeah, the yeah. seats did was this, right? So 4DX is supposed to be that experience where your seat moves. There's air everywhere. You're supposed to be able – smell-o-vision I think is involved as well. I went into uh, this, this new Bond for a second time in the 4DX experience mainly because I, I – I know that this is a movie where they're in planes, they're in trains, they're in automobiles, they're in everything. So if you're going to get the 40X experience, this would be the movie to go for, right? Uh, I will say, getting beat up, 
in 40X is not uh, ideal. You know, I ended up being more bruised than James Bond was in the movie by the end of it because the thing's just knocking you around. Uh, whenever they're shooting, look, I'm going to say, if you're going to go to a 40X movie, there's a lot of gunfire. Ain't no reason to be shot up in 40X. I'm in Chicago. I don't need to see that. The car scenes, though. The moment this man got in his Aston Martin, bro. Oh, my goodness. Fast and Furious movies, Need for Speed movies, that is what 40X is made for. There is the sequence where he jumps up on a bike. Just beautiful. Just exhilarating fantastic um i put this in the middle of the the craig bonds i think it's pretty decent um i still think casino royale is the best one out of these i know skyfall is the one that everyone loves the most but i think that this one closes it out well and if you see it without seeing the other ones i think you can still enjoy it but it definitely is a collection you need to watch what's happening in casino royale to to get uh, get and understand one of the characters for those who don't know quantum of solace was supposed to be a, a movie that had this secret organization only because they didn't have the rights to Spectre. So they had to create Quantum. Skyfall happens. Then when they do Spectre, they finally regain the rights. And as uh, if you've seen that movie, they pretty much just say, oh yeah, Quantum is just underneath Spectre. This is a movie that kind of completes all of that. It brings back elements from the first one and everything throughout. And personally, I thought it was enjoyable. I know that it's getting uh, some mixed reactions from some people, but I think that that's the... What more do you want? <laughs> I think with with a franchise that's so vast that it's been here for 25 whole movies. Um, risk with it. Uh, some, I think the Billie Eilish song is also just as great as some of the previous ones that we've gotten. I will say right now that uh, I see one of the comments about Ana de Armas. A lot of people are saying she wasn't going to be in this movie for long. She's not in the movie for long, but damn, Zach, when she's in the movie, she's yeah. in the movie. I'm going to say that much. I thought she delivered on that aspect. Uh, so overall, I, I, had, I had a pretty good time with it. Um, I'm excited to see what else they roll out with. Uh, but I give it a recommendation. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I think one of the defining features of the Craig Bond has been it's the series' attempt to kind of defy our expectations for what we get from a Bond movie. Whether that's the kind of like more gritty action sequences that Devesh pointed out is something that uh, kind of stole from uh, Born, the Born series, which was very popular around the time that they yes, first introduced uh, Craig, or, or whether it's uh, the continuity that ha uh, occurred through the Craig Bonds that, again, was sort of like changing the what we expect for Bond, which is a movie that tends to kind of just like wipe the slate, slate clean each and every time we get a new installment of it. So, um, you know, it, it's been interesting to see what, uh, all the different ways they've attempted to kind of freshen up this this uh, property and freshen up the character, make it more interesting to audiences. Uh, it, for me, it's always been a bit hit or miss. Uh, wh where do you have No Time to Die among the Craig Bonds in your, your ranking? Three. Right in the middle? But it's weird because uh, you need Spectre for this movie to really uh, fulfill its purpose. Like, you really do need Spectre. Um, and I'd say you also need Casino Royale. But again, I think as of right now, I have Casino Royale at the top, Skyfall, this one. I, look, I'm not a quantum hater. I understand all the garbage that was in that movie and all the behind the scenes of that one. I kind of have Spectre and Quantum tied uh, for the last ones. But uh, I, I thought it was decent for, for what it was going for. I enjoyed it. I don't think that Rami is the best villain, though. I, would, uh, I don't think he comes close to um, what our boy did in Skyfall and... Even uh, was Shafir with um, uh, was it mods? Yeah, um, mods or um, uh, Javier Bardem. But I, I, I pretty iconic yeah. Bond villains as far as that goes. Easily, 
but I do like the fact that he's an original villain. So, you know, only time will tell to see if they remix him. You know, I think it's it's really cool to see someone not do a take on a character, but to do the first take of a character that will then be rebooted later on. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. They do have the same similar thing that they do with all the other ones. You know, and Skyfall was like, this is like Bond if he would have done something else. And then Inspector, the character of uh, Franz was like, he could have been Bond, but he went somewhere else. The same thing happens here. It is pretty repetitive when it comes down to that, but uh, so still decent. Yeah, uh, and to go back to that Arna de Armas thing you mentioned, I don't know if you saw this tweet that uh, Andrew Barker posted, but I, I thought that really resonated with me, even though I haven't necessarily seen the film. He's saying that Ana de Armas mm-hmm. is not underused. She shows up and blows the roof off of the movie for 10 minutes, then takes a bow and leaves. And I, I kind of think sure. we need more stuff like that in bloated movies. You know, it's, it's already a three-hour movie as is. How much more do you want them to you know, spin their wheels and, and kind of like extend the thing. I would agree. Cause she's, uh, she's in particular, she's in the Cuba scene. And I would say a lot of people are saying that she's only in it. Well, it felt like a cameo. I think she's in it for a sequence. She's in it for what she needs to be in as, as an agent who's from that location. Um, so again, that's why I was saying, I think it would be interesting if they end up doing that with the bond franchise, because that's not something they've really expanded into spinoffs. And as we know, everything does a spinoff nowadays. And for a franchise that's been so long, they were really one of the first things to really create a franchise. There's this whole behind the scenes and a lot of the docs that I was watching in where it was Orson Welles himself who came in and was talking to, I believe, the director of uh, Dr. No, which was the first one. And he told him, he's like, you've changed the game. Everything is different because of you. Even saying that uh, what would then be the first Indiana Jones movie, um, He's like, you started this adventure, this franchise, this new type uh, of way of looking at movies. And 007 is one of the longest standing franchises. So for one of the biggest properties to have created one of the longest franchises and everybody else follows suit, everybody else is now doing spinoffs. I think now it's time for James Bond to a degree kind of follow what everybody else is doing. And I think be it a TV show, be it whatever ends up happening with Prime, because obviously Prime has been eyeing MGM. Mm -hmm. And if Prime touches MGM, then it's it's a no-brainer. It's no doubt that they're going to be milking it for as much as it's worth, you know? I mean, they did that with the Jack Reacher series. They're going to be doing it with this as well. So only time will tell to see what they end up doing. Definitely. I'm curious to check this one out. I I, I missed... Uh, I was hoping to catch it over the weekend, but man, so much stuff to watch. I hope uh, you like it. Yeah, I will definitely catch up with it once I do get around to it. Uh, I know there's some other stuff that you caught recently. I don't know if you wanted to touch briefly on the Jesus music, which I believe is available in uh, theaters yes. now. The holiest of docs out there right now. <laughs> I was really excited about this one. Um, based off the trailer, it's about CCM, really the creation of CCM by the people who pioneered it. And once I saw it, I think it is a solid doc for those who want to look back at the genre of contemporary Christian music. Then I saw who directed it. I don't know if you know who these two brothers are. They're not bad directors. In the Christian world of filmmaking, they have done some of the most prolific movies that are out there dealing with musicians who are even in this movie. They had done the film I Can Only Imagine, they, which was about um, – Mercy Me and, and that band did the Jeremy Camp one, which was I Still Believe. I have been making the joke that they're just going to be making these uh, cinematic versions of real Christian artists. And then they're going to do like an end game where they all just combine for like a concert. Well, this is them doing a doc with all those said people. My biggest issue with the doc is that it's produced by the people who are in the doc. And I, I don't think you're going to get an honest documentary if it's being produced by Michael W. Smith, who wants to tell you how he was able to become the biggest Christian artist in the world. 
because he released his album in 9-11 and everybody wanted to go to church and worship. When Amy Grant is telling you about uh, all the turmoils and stuff that she's gone through, uh, one of them, as she explains, was uh, a bump in the road. You check the wiki, it's called cheating. But the way that it's presented in the doc, you know, it's more of a feminist approach, which is really interesting because as someone who not just understands Christian contemporary music, but Christians, <laughs> that's usually not a point that would have been made in the past. Lecrae is also uh, prominently shown in the trailers, which was something that I was very interested in. I-, I worked on several videos dealing with Christian music, and one of them was particularly about Lecrae. It feels like they saw that video. <laughs> <laughs> and at the bare minimum to cover it, man, this dude only co- – he comes in at the beginning for one line, and then when he finally appears at the end of the doc, can you guess what section it's for? If we're covering uh, the Christian side and the conservative side, and hell, a little bit of feminism, a little bit of BLM as well. They bring in uh, Lecrae to just talk a little bit, but they never play his music. Hmm. And I found that a little iffy because it's like how are you going to bring in someone to talk? A man who actually has a track called Jesus Music and then just have him be there for the woe is me part. And I think that's where, again, the doc does a good job at looking back at uh, the popularity of the genre, but it doesn't really dig deep into it. If anything, I feel like they're covering their tracks because mm. they're, they're only like saying, hey, but we're also here for the black musicians. They have a black musician in this who's saying like, I feel like we haven't been welcomed into this genre, but they have to understand that we're family. And all I'm thinking while I'm watching that sequence is, did you even meet the producers of this? <laughs> I, I'm watching this and I'm going like, how do you not feel welcomed, yet you're in a dock for the people who created the genre who should have made you feel welcome? I don't know. It's like kind of like when Disney tries to pat themselves on the back for including the first, you know, whatever character. But it's like, y'all never included them in the past, so you're not really <laughs> congratulating you for being the first. It just exactly. took you this long to be here. Um, nonetheless, it's, it's a decent doc for what it's going for. If you're a listener of CCM, I think you will enjoy all the flashbacks to, um, DC talk and how they started, uh, and just all the behind the scenes when it comes to how they were able to make it a business. And there were some points where they talked about the business side, which I was like, damn, I wish I would go in. But as soon as they start talking numbers, you know, they had to come back to faith, <laughs> faith. It's for the love of the Lord, but also that money. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm curious to see what people think about this one. This one is available in more places than I will say the other Christian movie, which is God's Not Dead 4, <laughs> which I see Devesh saying right there that this one was number 10 in the last weekend. Yeah, good for them. Because God's Not Dead lied about being number one, and everyone <laughs> went through the list, and they weren't even in like the top 50. It was embarrassing. That is a movie, God's Not Dead 4, that is only available as a Fathom event. I was telling Zach this. You cannot use your AMC stubs, your Regal. I don't even think you use a coupon if you had it. You literally need to pay the Fathom event pricing to go see uh, God's Not Dead again. So uh, I will catch that one eventually and get back to your thoughts on that. But in terms of a decent documentary, it was this. It could get deeper, but that would have to be made by someone who aren't brothers and friends with all of the musicians who are in this. But it's all right. Sorry. It'll uh, be on Pure Flick soon, probably. Yeah. Magnitude is uh, pointing out there's four God's Not Deads. Uh, they got to they keep reminding you, man. <laughs> yeah, he's he's still not dead, you'd apparently. Be, you'd think they would have they called one God's Still Not Dead, but they never did. <laughs> right? You can't. You got to sequelize the names at some point. You just can't go numerical over and over again. That's like, that's old fashioned. That's like Police Academy stuff. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'd say that one's there. 
I saw someone talking about Lamb. Zach, I don't believe you saw Lamb yet. We'll be catching that one soon. Yeah, uh, that, that's the uh, topic of the of the day. It seems we got a couple people trying to see if we got Lamb reactions. I know Jay wants us to uh, talk about Lamb. Neither of us have had a chance to see Lamb. There's a lot going on. Obviously, uh, I was at New York Film Festival, so I didn't get my chance to. But I think we'll both try and catch it this week. Hopefully, we have the time. And uh, report back. Next yeah, the 40 X showing was sold out for Lamb. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Him. Like maybe I, I don't know. I know it's not always like feel, but it'd be cool if you had like one of those scratch and sniff, but it was like wool or something. <laughs> That'd be manure in their farm, bro. You're just gonna get bod off to the right side of your of your chair. I don't know. I, I'm interested in this one because like, another one that got just massively mixed reactions. Some people were falling asleep. Some people were saying that it's just as weird as it should be. I'm excited for it. Uh, well, I'm at Chicago Fest. I'm, I'm going to try to sneak this one in as well as uh, what you got merch for right there in the back, <laughs> the new documentary, The Rescue. So uh, by next Monday, I should have some thoughts on this. Hopefully, Zach gets to catch it as well, um, along with his final New York thoughts and Chicago thoughts. But yeah. don't worry. We, we will get to Lamb. We will do it justice. I said, hey, no, you got to tell you this one. We had Lamb. We got Pig. Uh, we got Cow. Got Cow. There was First Cow last year. First Cow. That was last year. I feel like there was another one too, but yeah, the, the old McDonald year for movies. Um, uh, we got a comment from Jay that I genuinely loved Lamb. I'm a bit surprised that people see people are so mixed on it, more so than usual A24 films. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious Those to see because uh, scrolling down my uh, letterbox page, I'm seeing a one and a half star reaction, a four star reaction, some two and a half stars, some three and a half stars. So it's not uh, very consistent in terms of how people are responding to, to Lamb. Uh, it makes me excited. Yeah, exactly. Those are usually the most interesting movies, the ones that inspire those kinds of de- divisive responses. So definitely curious to check out lamb when we get the chance to but uh you were talking about another movie uh that i saw recently if i can pull up my link to it where is this getting away from me uh uh so yeah the latest movie from the directors behind one of our favorite recent documentaries from a couple years back the oscar winning Mm. documentary free solo uh Elizabeth Chai and Jimmy Chin are back with The Rescue. Jimmy. A a story about the uh, people who rescued the Thai soccer team that was trapped in the cave. If you remember that story that was dominating the news uh, a few years back of of these children who were somehow trapped in a cave. And it's kind of one of those stories that's like very hard to kind of figure out from the outside, right? Like unless you're doing the deep dives, it's such a – such a nuanced thing that like you only kind of get the surface like these kids are 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 trapped and like they're trying to rescue them but it's it's hard to rescue them and then you eventually figure out like somehow they they got out this is one of those documentaries that takes one of those uh news stories that maybe you've heard bits and pieces of and really dives deep into uncovering each step of the process, all the different uh, arguments that were had and people that were involved and elements that went into saving these kids. And it's, it's really remarkable it watching this. I was just sort of convinced that like humans have never done anything more impressive than this, (laughs) than like navigate how to get children 
uh, out of like mortal danger using anesthesia and, and and diving equipment and all the I don't I don't know man it, it's crazy impressive to to watch um, I had maybe some issues with how the documentary was approached you know given that the story is so much about how these kids were in peril and how the media mm-hmm. descended on this story I think I would have liked to have heard from the actual people. Who, who were in danger, the, the victims here, or, or the families of the victims here, and you only see them in little bits of footage. I, I wonder if maybe they just didn't want to talk for this documentary or whatever, but it, it did feel like that element of it was missing. Instead, what you get is like a hyper-focus on particularly the diving team, all these pe- hobbyists who were brought in to make this rescue, because uh, basically the people who are the best in the world at this kind of um, at these kind of uh, these kinds of uh, cave divings are, are are people who just have like regular jobs and do this on the weekend, and suddenly they're in charge really? of of saving. I think it was like thirteen kids, something like that. Really, really incredible story. Really Sheesh. riveting. Uh, I liked it a lot. I actually caught it at the Central Park Conservancy Film Festival. So. It, Something I didn't know That's existed, a good one. but yeah, it's cool. We we sat outside in Central Park. I uh, I only saw one rat scurrying oh, around a lot, and I, I kind of had to like hit my shoe uh, on the ground hey, to scare the rat away. But they got their ticket too, dude. <laughs> yeah, they they came to watch this movie. They've been waiting for it. They kept yeah. up with the story. All species welcome, I guess, at the Central Park Conservancy Film Festival. <laughs> I'm not. I'm really not trying to slander them because I think it's really cool. It was a beautiful way to watch a movie, and like I've, I've watched. Kind of fire, dude. I've watched outdoor screenings of movies a lot, and I feel like just the way they, the the technical aspects of it were perfect like the screen was really great and the sound was really great it's just beautiful to be able to sit outside and watch a new movie so i dug that um i I told you earlier that i performed um my own little extraction mission i gifted myself some swag from the after party so hopefully nobody is gonna get mad about that uh but now it it has a little home on the intercut set it's uh my my rescue there you go Uh, Magnitude says, bro, I'm so unbelievably excited for the rescue. That's a good thing to be uh, for a new documentary sure. from the people who brought you Free Solo. Because that is a that is a re- Free Solo in particular That's is a, a very, very good documentary. And uh, the, good. the way that they're able to keep you on the edge of your seat in Free Solo, they do a really good job of evoking those feelings in the rescue. So, yeah, if you're excited for this one, I think you're going to be satisfied uh, with it. Sweet. Uh, Looking forward. Yeah. Um, So what else do we got? I think you wanted to talk about some of the festival movies that are starting to come Mm -hmm. out because uh, we've seen a whole bunch of films that originally played at Sundance or South by Southwest or Tribeca or even at some of these fall film early or fall early fall film festivals. And now they're going to be available more widely, whether they are in theaters or available on VOD and digital. So we want to kind of bring up a few of those movies that maybe you heard us talk about months back. Maybe you missed those episodes and just need that refresher. Uh, But let's start it off with Luzu, which is one of the films that won an acting award out of the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. I actually missed this one, but I I know you caught it. What what did you think about Luzu back when we saw it in January? 
Uh, super solid movie. This one is about a fisherman who uh, is based in Malta and everything's kind of changing, not just some of the, you know, call it conspiracies that are happening in the fishing community, but also just the way that everything's been shifting because he's not able to find the fish that he can. All this is happening alongside uh, his own family turmoil that's going on at the same time. And I would say that uh, wasn't my favorite performance out of Sundance, but solid contender right there so good for him for getting the award i know that it was also a really big deal because it's supposed to be one of the first features shot in malta i know they were really pushing that at sundance but uh, i yeah. thought it was a solid little movie um i would recommend this one uh, i'm not sure if it's gonna be playing theatrically um but i think this would be a good one to rent even if it's on vod uh, i like a lot of the themes that are in it and like i said solid performance from the lead actor yeah i'm curious to catch up with this one because you know it did take home that award and did seem like a pretty interesting premise there uh, with this fisherman who's kind of like uh, mm-hmm. t- flirting with the wrong side of the law to help his family. That too. Yeah. Um, got and then just with a lot of the documentaries that I know people have been seeing, just uh, you know, from Netflix had that one about the the the, the fish stuff. So Seaspiracy was out there. Like every single <laughs> every single streaming service has one that's telling you about the uh, fishing communities around the world. So as long as you've seen one of those, I think you'll you'll kind of have the background to what you need to know um, for what's happening in this movie. But uh, again, it's it's a really good drama that follows this character and what he has to go through. So put that one on your list if you are interested. That was one of the ones we caught at Sundance back in January. January. Um, one of the other ones, I don't know if you ever got the chance to catch it, um, but it is also coming up. Uh, Sons of Monarch. This is one that co- that is starring Tenoch, who, yo, my man, representing Mexico. This dude was recently in The Purge. Not, not, not a fan of the newest Purge, but I loved all the chingons that he gave in that movie. He was also in uh, rewatching Spectre because uh, we had this joke about how he's credited as man on lift. Yeah, he is. The man on the elevator for three seconds that you see with James Bond um, was one of his most prolific ones. And I know that he is now getting picked up to be over uh, at Marvel. I don't know as what. So just know that you're going to see that notch and you know you're going to see him because this man went through that transformation. He looks built as can be. Some of you may also know him from, uh, I believe, one of the seasons of Narcos. But here he plays the complete opposite. He plays an immigrant who leaves Mexico, leaves everything behind in order to become uh, a scientist who, in particular, studies butterflies. These monarchs who, just as what he went through, leave their habitat uh, during winter to go somewhere else. And they kind of change colors in order to adapt. So it's kind of this immigrant story that's um, following someone who isn't just you know, uh, your everyday worker. He is someone who studied, went to science, and how he's correlating between those monarchs and how it um, reflects to not just his journey, but also the spirituality of it. Uh, a very interesting perspective, I will say that. I was looking more at the filmmaker, and he is a filmmaker who really focuses on, on like, science. So there are moments where he's trying to be very narrative-based, but it is more scientifically-based. Mosaic would have been another one. We have uh, plenty of directors that we enjoy from Mosaic who worked on this kind of, like, hmm anthology film if you go through the crew you'll see a bunch of directors uh, Josephine Decker there Noah Hutton another dude who we really enjoy and he's been doing a lot of scientific based stuff I would say that Noah Hutton who who went um, and I know he spent like 10 years in one of these docs that we saw from him where he was like learning about the human mind and such he ended up making lapses which kind of took everything that he was seeing behind the scenes trying to make into a narrative this is kind of what he was doing here in terms of the world of um, science and trying to make a, a narrative of it. I think it – I really like the themes of it more than I enjoyed, I guess, the movie. But uh, I have I have my stocks on Tenoch. 
and I'm all in. I, I am banking on this man. I'm telling you right now. I hope he kills it with the Marvel movie that he's coming out with, and I hope that he takes it from there and is able to get a lot more projects over here in the states because uh, he's been sneaking his way into a lot of things, and I think he deserves it. Yeah, um, I was a huge fan of Son of a Monarch when I saw it at Sundance, but it's definitely a very interesting movie. I mean, especially the way in which it's able to combine uh, the, this very like intellectual perspective, this very scientific approach, and then something that's a little bit more emotional. I, I didn't know it didn't always coalesce for me, but it, it's very very interesting. Weird take. Um, it's also so I think it's going to be in theaters this weekend. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then it's going to be on HBO Max on November 2nd. So very soon. I definitely would say, yeah, I'd give it a rent it. So definitely if you can catch it on HBO Max, if you're not feeling it, (laughs) because the first half is a little bit slower. It's also like two completely different movies. The first half is like an immigrant story. And the second half becomes this trippy, not fully trippy, but like. They're doing things with the spiritual, scientific side of it that they're trying to clash. They're trying to say a lot, whether they say anything is up to you. But I, I kind of got the vibes of what they were going for in terms of this character's uh, yeah. story arc. So if and it I piques think, your interest, put that on your list. And I think one of our, our, our uh, regular commenters, one of our intercuties, Ismail, is a big fan of this one too. So yeah, there, there are people who really responded to, to it. If it sounds like it's up your alley, it's going to be available at home mm-hmm. not too long from now in theaters this weekend. So uh, another one yeah, from and, the and festival then, uh, circuit. Bruce Wayne, Mr. Wayne himself, Batman in the comments is saying that he's rumored to be Namor. I've been hearing that a lot. I, I feel like he's going to be a villain. A lot of people keep saying Namor. We'll see if, if it's Namor. Dude, that is that is a role. <laughs> I, I don't know who he'll be, but that is also what I've been hearing rumored. Um, so we'll see. I just know that. What is you know? What like, is a Namor? You have to you, you know, you have to translate this for me. The comic book stuff. What, what is a Namor? Right, some people may not enjoy it. Uh, uh, Marvel Aquaman. Oh, okay. Way, I guess. It's the easiest way. There you go. Cool. Cool. To a degree. I don't want to say that. <laughs> but, uh, just, yeah, watch this movie and say that you saw the notch and that you had him on your radar, that you caught a movie with the man before he blows up. All right. So uh, sticking with the stuff that is coming off of the festival circuit, let's move to one that we caught at South by Southwest. Uh, that is... Introducing Selma Blair, uh, a mm. film about uh, the actress's uh, sort of struggle with her struggles with her own personal health and dealing with her diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Uh, I didn't catch this one, but I know you did and responded to it. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, um, I know. What was the one from Prime earlier? The Val, the uh, it was called Val, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So just like Val Kilmer was looking back at his career and kind of just dissecting the different, you know, elements of who he was as an actor in the industry and then being able to kind of flesh out through his son narrating in that movie. Um, here at Selma Blair, looking back at her career, kind of like seeing how she was always the run through of all the movies that she had done, uh, everything with her growing up with her mom and, and all the turmoil that she may have gone through leading up to what would end up being her uh, multiple sclerosis diagnosis. And it's a raw movie, man. That's the only way I could put it. Uh, another one that had played at South by that just recently opened and I know it was virtual was the, oh, I'm blinking on that one, Never Gonna Stop or Never Stop Now. Another documentary oh. that does the same thing about an activist. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you'll pull it up. Uh, but yeah, so that one was also out and that one's called following a dude who you know was was fighting for the rights to be able to 
access certain things and especially healthcare. This would be from a celebrity's point of view and just all the different things that she had to go through and uh, like not even being able to get certain uh, treatments because of MS and just the, the various ups and downs that she went through. But the thing about it is that it's, again, introducing Selma Blair. It's her saying, I am no longer the supporting actor like you've seen me throughout my entire career. This is me trying to come to the to the forefront of it. She is funny, dude. She's got this sense of humor that is so dark. It was catching me off guard at times. Um, but it's kind of like what what um, causes you to – I don't want to use the word sympathize with her. But you, you, you really do follow her from a degree where you, you really feel for her. And it's her trying to raise her kid at the same time as well. And just the different things that she has to describe to her kid about her diagnosis all while still trying to juggle um, a career. Uh, I I really like this one. I thought it was a, a very personal take and a uh, just look at her life that she opened up to. And she, she pretty much said it. I know in the Q&A that if she was going to let people in, she was going to let them see everything. And she she shows you everything. And I think it's important from the perspective of if you don't know the um, too much about MS, mm-hmm. like this is someone who's giving you like a front and center look at it. And I think that's always important. Awesome. Yeah, uh, it's... Oh, it's interesting to see how some of these. It, I'd be curious to compare this one to Val in that they're both of these stories about these actors forced to kind of take take a new look at themselves and sort of present themselves in a new way because of whatever health challenges they're facing. And uh, it, it, they both they both seem very remarkable. I really responded to Val, so uh, I'll have to check this one mm-hmm. out as well. Believe it's hitting Val on Prime. Yeah, Val is available on Prime. This one is going to be on theaters October 15th and then on Discovery Plus October 21st. Discovery Plus. So, yeah, if you're. Yeah, uh, it's one of the first big acquisitions that they made. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. shout out Discovery Plus. <laughs> uh, sticking with films that are on the festival circuit, uh, we can kind of swing this back to the New York Film Festival because. I talked a little bit about Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy last week uh, in com- in companion with Drive My Car because both of those Hamaguchi films are playing the New York Film Festival. Uh, but so, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is actually going to be available in theaters this Friday. So I'll bring it up again because it's a delightful nice. little collection of three short films. Uh, they are very life-affirming and, and kind of existential in nature. They have... They all are kind of centered on these conversations, these long conversations. There might only be like four or five scenes in this movie. Maybe I'm underestimating a little bit, but like the, he he's the kind of filmmaker that has these long drawn out dialogues and that really allow the actors to move from emotion to motion, from beat to beat. You can you can see them process uh, di- different feelings and different uh, things that occur. I, and I just was kind of entranced by the whole thing. I thought it was uh, quite delightful. I thought it, it, w- it was just a very interesting uh, collection of movies, even if I thought the first two maybe were a little bit more interesting than the last one. I just, you know, I think that's that's always the case when you get these kind of anthological films, is that maybe, maybe not all the parts mm-hmm. work as well as the others, but none of them were bad. You know, I thought they all had aspects of them that have stuck with me and uh, it's 
my experience watching both this and Drive My Car made me really want to catch uh, the rest of the Hamaguchi films that I've missed. So if that's any indication, that I, would, I would absolutely recommend you check this one out now that it's in theaters. Uh, Magnitude Reviews mentions in the comments that Drive My Car was just submitted as Japan's mm-hmm. pick for international feature at the Oscars. I did want to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, actually, maybe it's it's worth getting into that now before we do our New, uh, New York Film Festival coverage, if you're interested in it. Uh, we- yeah, let's jump right into it. We only had one more that we wanted to mention because there's another one that's going to be Oscar-worthy. But let's talk about these right now because uh, I didn't know they were going to submit it this early. I think it's dope to talk about these because right now, especially because it's international features, you still have a chance with Chicago being virtual, mm-hmm. with Philly having <laughs> what the six that I told you were going to be virtual that you have an ability to catch these before you know the year ends and the nominations come out and you're like I've barely even seen the the best picture ones much less the international ones so it's cool that uh, a lot are submitting now uh, Zach's pulling it up right there yeah. any of these stand out to you that you've seen or that you're looking forward to I know you've seen I think I've seen Memorias Columbia. <laughs> I, yeah, Memorias Columbia, which is one of the th- reasons why I was curious about it, given that uh, Th- Weirthical is, I, I believe he's from Taiwan. Uh, so, yeah. It, he's from Taiwan. Yeah. So, interesting that that ended up being Columbia submission. Tilda it Columbia? is a film that it takes place entirely in Columbia, for what it's worth. Um, I'll get that into that a little bit. Okay. I'll get into Memoria more in All a little right. bit because uh, that's part of my New York Film Festival coverage. But yeah, that is definitely a standout okay. given that I'm not sure uh, if any of his films have been nominated for Oscars before. Maybe somebody in the comments can uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. But uh, yeah, to, the chance to nominate one of Joe's movies, Api Chongpong's movies, uh, is interesting. I've heard Do some it. good things about Two Lions Heading to Venice the Albanian selection, although I haven't seen that one. I think Mariana also uh, had a lot of good things to say about Compartment Number 6, the Finnish movie, when she caught that in uh, TIFF. So that's definitely one to keep your eye on. Uh, we missed the chance. We wanted to watch the German selection. I'm I'm your man. That one stars Dan Stevens as like a robot or something. Uh, robot. So I'm curious yeah. about that one. Uh, as Brady mentioned. Ooh, Kosovo. Is, which one are we going back to? Kosovo. Oh, Kosovo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Hive, Hive. of Sundance films that are starting to make their way into theaters, Hive, uh, which is one of the ones that we spotlit in our Sundance coverage. That one, I think, is going to be available in theaters November 5th. So just around the corner, but it's already secured Kosovo's submission for uh, the Oscars this year. I would be very curious to see because I don't know if Kosovo's ever submitted a film to the Oscars before. That'd be curious to uh, find out. Um, like Brady was mentioning, Drive My Car is Japan selection. That's my early favorite for what I hope gets nominated. Uh, of all the foreign films I've seen this year, I mean, I really loved uh, The Disciple, although I I wonder if that's technically 2021. And then also really loved uh, The Worst Person in the World, as I mentioned on our last podcast, which I think is Norway. Is on there? Uh, Norway hasn't selected okay. yet. Uh, but next to Worst Person in the World, I think Drive My Car is my favorite foreign film that I've seen in 2021. Um, that or Sounds Beyond good. the Infinite Two Minutes, but Japan's made their cho- choice there. So I'm, I'm happy to support Amaguchi <laughs> and, and, and a really great movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I've uh, seen any of these other ones. I don't know if any of them stood out to you, but we'll be keeping them on our radar. Um, radar. 
One that they actually don't have here. Let me just do a quick Google uh, because I just got an email about Roe from Malaysia. I believe Malaysia just selected this film as their uh, entry for Oscars foreign language. So. It was the horror one, right? Yeah. So I was curious about this one. Dude. I'm going to try and get, our, get us. Malaysia knows it. what's up. I feel like a lot of the ones from Malaysia are horror films. I think uh, they also had a Sundance one that they had selected from last year. They just know what's up, dude. And they're, they're, they keep submitting the uh, genre films for that, which I think is really cool. To back up on your thing for uh, Kosovo, they've been submitting since 2014. So they are still fairly new. They haven't even got a decade under their belts. Um, Zana from two years ago is one that Alina hyped up to a degree that was ridiculous. It finally got put on Prime. So I will be catching Zana uh, soon. Highly recommend that one from a recommendation that I got. Last year they had Exile. Do you remember Exile from Sundance? Yeah. I don't know if you ever got that one. I don't think the, I did. But the I... dude with the rats in his locker. <laughs> he was like super mad and he took it out on everyone and he didn't know who put him there. <laughs> Hive's a better selection. Yeah. I'm rooting for Hive to make the, to make the top. Same. Uh, Jonas asked if uh, any of the international films may be possible front runners um, here. Uh, definitely the ones that we've been mentioning. I mean, memory, Memoria comes from like a legendary filmmaker already. Um, and Drive My Car, given that it's had these big spotlight premieres at at Con, where it, uh, it at Con and at TIFF and all, and New York, I think it's kind of got sort of like the critical acclaim already. So those two are definitely early front runners, at least. And of nope. course, worst person in the world should that uh, get nominated in there. There also is some talk about whether or not France will submit the new Celine Sciamma film, uh, Petite Maman. After not submitting last one? Yeah, so that'll be curious to see uh, whether or not they kind of do a makeup call for Portrait of a Lady on Fire there. So those are some of the ones from International Feature to keep your eye on. Um I actually think I skipped over one of the things that you wanted to mention that you've been watching. Uh, should we go back to scenes from a marriage real quick? Uh, I haven't finished this one, so let's get back to this one next week. But I recommend it, dude. It's pretty good. Do, I see you got the 1974 one out there. Yeah, which one did you catch, 1974 or 2021? Oh, no, the new one on HBO. I know they just wrapped up. Uh, I was trying to finish it today a little bit earlier. Uh, I didn't get to complete it yet. But, I mean, these two, I, I think they kill it, man. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they roll this out. This is definitely going to be the one that HBO is going to carry for all of their Emmy submissions and Golden Globes and all that. All that. Uh, I, I've been enjoying it so far. I think it's, it's raw as could be. It's fantastic. Two of the best performers that we have out there right now, in my opinion. Um, I, I think it's pretty good. Uh, I'll talk more about it once I wrap it up, though, because I know that that just had its finale, along with Ted Lasso, which I know you finished. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about Ted Lasso a little bit if we if you want to because uh, that just aired its last episode over on Apple TV Plus, and uh, I don't want to spoil it because I know you haven't seen the last episode, and there's probably a lot of other people there who out there who haven't seen the last episode of the second season. Uh, it, they've kind of been building towards something that's not as sweet and not as kind as the show has been often given credit for, I think very intentionally trying to sort of subvert what they, what they've been doing with Ted Lasso and, and kind of show it where the, whereas the first season is about how his kindness kind of solves all problems. This one's more about how it's not enough 
for a lot of the things that he need to happen in his life. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, while I kind of buy showing the opposite side of that, I don't know if I bought the final kind of emotional hurdle you have to jump over to to believe what happens to the characters in the final episode of the show. It just felt a little bit disingenuous and felt a little bit unearned more than anything. And I know that um, the actor for one of the characters went on Twitter and wrote out a whole list of reasons why it makes sense that his character did the things he does. It it doesn't... If really... you have to do that... <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. If you really have to, ex- uh, like, go note by note and explain it. I don't know if it really works, especially for a show like Ted Lasso. You know, I'm not, this isn't the first season of true detective where I'm trying to figure out what Carcosa is. This is, this is a sitcom about feelings and emotions and, and bonds and happiness. I don't know. It doesn't, it hasn't fallen off the map for me. Uh, I still find it funny. Although I think there may be, you can feel them bending backwards a little bit more than they did in the first season for certain jokes. Like for, for example, uh, Ted Lasso in the first season, his thing is like those, those analogies, right? Like the, I, I wish I could remember one off the top of my head, but like when he, uh, when he's like, Oh, that's as soft as something or whatever. Um, they've given those lines to a bunch of different characters, like his son on his, on a zoom call answers with one of those quips and it's like you're a child your mind doesn't work that my mind doesn't work that fast so it just reads a little bit more bogus than it did on the first season but i still find it funny i still i still am charmed by it in the second season uh i know you enjoyed the recent appearance of a of a character actor we like quite a bit a a funny man who's done his share work on uh i think you should leave another sammy boy bro yeah yeah, because I'm just missing the last episode. That's the only thing that I need to uh, finish. But in terms of this season, I feel a lot of it is set up for the third. Yeah. Um, some of it may feel contrived. I don't want to say that yet until I see how the third one plays it off because I believe that they're just looking to make it a trilogy of seasons and then that's it. They're going to end it with it, which yeah. is still pretty great considering where Ted Lasso started off and that was as a Fox Sports commercial. <laughs> and now look at him. He's got three NBC seasons Sports. that he's booting up over here. Yeah, and oh, I said Fox. Sorry, NBC. My bad. Um, and I agree. The first season is a lot funnier. Mm-hmm. I think the first season is a lot more organic. I want to say because I yeah. think one of the big things that a lot of people enjoy about the show is that it's not political. Man, I can make you a montage how political this show is, but the beauty in it is how it's able to just convince you that it's not, how it's able to just quickly go from one thing to another without really putting it in your face. I think it's a little bit more in your face in the second season. Yeah. Um, I think the characters are really honing in on their attributes. Yeah. If that's a way to put it, they're, you know what I mean? No, you, you, they're the really first relying season, you're on finding the out who they for. are. And in the second season, you're doubling down on who they are. There you go. So, uh, again, I agree with you. It's not, it doesn't make it, you know, it's, yeah. it's just the middle season. It's, it's, the, yeah, yeah, it's not bad, but it's not as great as the first one was. What is great, though, and we believe should get nominated for a couple of stuff, particularly in acting, is the final festival selection that is supposed to be in theaters. I don't know if it's in theaters near you or what the rollout for this movie is going to be, but Mass, a movie where a lot of our peers who went to Sundance are arguing and fighting for this movie, the moment that I believe it's Neon? No, mm-hmm. Bleecker Street. We, the moment they announced their campaign, I, which I believe was one of the first Oscar campaigns, that yeah. said, all right, 
It's time, baby. It's it's kind of like Christmas lights, right? Christmas lights started going up in November and October. These ads can earlier and earlier every now. year. Earlier and earlier, uh, which is why we're, we'll be starting our campaign for 2023 starting next week. But as of now, we're going to be talking about mass, which without a doubt is going to secure, I believe, uh, some of the some of the best spots for acting just all around. Uh, just right off the bat, click that director. Because some of you may not know Franz Kranz, but you'll, Kranz. but you'll know his face. Look at that. What? <laughs> Zach, tell one, him what the movie's One director about. credit. Let's switch it up to the actor credits because boy's busy um he's been in a lot of stuff a lot of stuff that you probably know a lot of stuff you probably love you probably recognize him if and it doesn't include the shows the cabin in the yeah true if you anything you would probably recognize him from the cabin in the woods where he played the stoner character in that the movie <laughs> classic but yeah he's classic. the writer and director of this really riveting film mass uh, that we caught back at Sundance. I was a huge fan of it. Uh, I know people who, who are in our sphere, like Matt Niglia and the Oscar guys, are, are big fans of this one as well. Shout out the Oscar expert on that one. Shout out Mariana. I didn't realize she was also a huge fan of this one. But, yeah, yeah I I really love Mass. I want to get a chance to rewatch it because I... I love films that have that feeling that they're like a play. I know that's something that is often used as like a derogatory comment that it feels like a play, but the way in which plays sometimes are able to let you linger in a room and feel like the vibe of the room, right? When, when you are watching a live production and the actors have a silence, it doesn't feel boring because you're, you're watching them feel each other out and you're watching the actors process those moments and i think this is a movie that achieves uh giving you that feeling of sitting with people as they live their lives right as they try to evoke this very unique experience through a a very contained a very contained medium and that's not to say that the film doesn't move i think the camera is doing really interesting things on where it's choosing to land who it's focusing on for very pivotal moments the way that it explores the room and kind of gives certain uh moments a room more room to breathe than others i i think there's a lot of very intelligent writing in this how how the intensity level will be ratcheted up and then it'll be deflated and then it'll be ratcheted up again and it'll be deflated People, you know, one of one of the great films of all time is is Twelve Angry Men, and I think it, it's another will, film that works on that this kind of level where it's like being able to kind of uh, play with you while not like show, throwing to all these different scenes is a huge talent in itself. Maybe that's a crazy comparison to make, but I I think that this is like a really really excellent movie. I I'm worried that it will maybe be a little bit too low key for the Oscars tastes because I I kind of hope this gets like two or three Oscar nominations for acting, maybe a screenplay nomination uh-huh. for Fran Kranz. Uh but it it didn't hit any of the fall festivals, which is interesting, you know, usually uh these usually. movies try to get that mm-hmm. boost from from a tiff selection. And it did. So, yeah, what, what really weird what, yeah. what do you think about it's first of all the film and then also it's standing heading into award season? Uh, Martha Plimpton. That's I, I don't care if the rest of them don't get nominated. Martha, without a, it's gotta be her. Unreal, easily. Uh, one of the things, yeah. Uh, the screenplay, I, I don't think it's a bad screenplay. 
it frustrated me to no end. And at a certain point when we were doing our Sundance coverage and we were getting to this one, one of the things that I was really looking at was like I was mad. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was like, no, that's not right. I wasn't saying that's not right for the screenplay. It's that it's written for you to get frustrated with yeah. some of these characters. How dare they say that? How, and, and that's when I was like, no, nah, it's a solid movie, solid performances. And in a scenario like this, you're not going to like how it plays out. I hate some of the, where the conversations go. Mm-hmm. And I realized that's that's just an attribute to what the scenario would be like. Um, I want to see it again for the performances, but I don't want to sit in that room again. Because as Zach said, you are in the room with yeah. these people. It is designed for you to just uh, feel the awkwardness of this conversation. You want to get up and leave just like some of these characters do. Man, you want to get up and smack some of these characters as well. That's the effectiveness of the acting, I would say. I do believe the script could have been a little stronger at points, um, but the actors just eat this up. It's fantastic. Uh, so I am hoping that it's able to, to, to gain some stuff for the actors in particular. Um, so hopefully. I mean, a, a lot of movies that I believe are going to be at the uh, Oscar races didn't do Fall Festival, so there's a chance this one may have it. But it's all down to, uh, again, I believe it's Bleecker Street. And uh, how they're able to roll out that campaign. Maybe they saved it. They saved all that money from the festivals and traveling for the campaign. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. All right. So definitely check out Mass if you have the chance to. I think it's going to be one of the best films released in uh, this year. And it's definitely going to get some awards, even if they're only critics' awards. It's certainly going to be in that conversation. So once again, shout out Fran Kranz. I, I want to talk to Fran Kranz. I want to try. Let's, let's try and get him on the show. Funny Fran, guy, if you're bro. listening, come on the show. Funny come guy. <laughs> uh, so I think that's most of what we're been, what we've been watching. Uh, we can get to the New York Film mm-hmm. Festival stuff in just a second, but maybe let's take a quick break to do some yay or nays because there's some interesting things happening in the film world that are worth talking about. Uh, and let's start it off with something that I know is frustrating magnitude reviews as a dude who does not live near a major city. And that is, of course, the release strategy that Neon is employing for the film Memoria. Uh, I'll talk again about what my thoughts on Memoria in just a sec. Uh, but let's first talk about this news because... Um, Neon is taking a really interesting approach to their exhibition of the latest film from Apichong Wirasethical. Instead of doing a traditional wide release or doing even a limited release that starts in New York and LA and then eventually makes its way to Chicago and stuff, they are doing a one week at a time, one screen at a time release of this film. It's going to open, I believe, at the IFC Center in New York later in December, where it'll play for a week. And then, like it's a museum piece or something like that, it will go on tour across America to different art house theaters for a one-week-only engagement. So make sure to book your tickets while the carnival is in town. Otherwise, you won't get to see the latest film from Joe. It, it It's a very interesting idea. Um, and not necessarily one that on its surface I am against if it weren't for the second half of it in that mm-hmm. this you have to denounce your Netflix and all of your streaming platforms <laughs> in order to get a ticket. No, this second half is dumb, dude. Yeah, this film will only play in theaters. It will not become available on DVD or on demand or on streaming platforms. And by the way, that's not saying like in its initial release. That's saying ever, 
Neon has no plans to ever put this movie out on streaming. So if it's not booked in theaters, I guess good luck. Like, for, let's let's ignore the fact that there are people who don't live next to or within driving distance of an art house theater where they could fe- feasibly see this film. What happens if there's a film student three years down the road that wants to catch Memoria? Are 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 they expecting to still be on this tour? Or are they expecting them to like find some cl- cinema in like the hills of Columbia? Because that that'll be the only place it's showing at that time. <laughs> Like I, I'm very. Just, they got to wait for the Momo release. It's very, it's very bizarre, and like, it's cool that like I guess it'll give an incentive to play retrospective screenings, but like, it, it's weird to rely on that. I don't know, man. Like I, I this was the first time that I've gotten to see one of Weirdest Ethicals. Actually, second time that I've gotten to see one of Weirdest Ethicals movies on the big screen. But like, I didn't get to see Uncle Boon Me on the big screen, and I, I would have been really upset had I just like never had access to it. It's it's very strange. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I don't. know. Do you feel like it's elitist, or do you feel like it's just stupid? The most elitist people on Twitter. Love this decision. <laughs> that should answer everything you need to say right there. I think it is super dope the way that they are releasing it. I like that. Yeah. I personally think that that's what a lot of movies who that are that are independent movies are going to have to do in the future. Again, yeah. not to bring Take in the 40X that I was cool. watching earlier. Scorsese was right, bro. I am sitting there in this 40X theater realizing they're going to turn half of these things into this the moment that they're able to pick up on it. And that is going to be the biggest divide on being able to have these independent theaters go out as opposed to what they're going to be doing when it comes to uh, the division of what's going to go to streaming, what's going to go into theaters. It's only going to be big blockbusters and it's only going to be the indies that usually go at home. That's the big fear that a lot of these people have, right? That's the reason why a lot of people justify their elitism. I think the biggest divide that you can have is the way that you transform theaters into being more like amusement park rides. And when I was sitting in that 40X theater and the stuff was shooting at me and I felt I needed to put my seatbelt on – it felt like an amusement park ride. Yeah. This movie is not going to have a 40X version of it, right? Mm-hmm. So eventually, I feel 10, 20 years down the line, we're going to have to do rollouts like this for these smaller movies where it's going to feel like a tour. This isn't unusual. Like you said, the way that things open in New York and L.A., the way that things do film festivals and we wait for it, I think it's kind of <laughs> cool. If you're able to secure a screening for a week in your, right. show, in your place, it's going to be cool. Even Kevin Smith did to something not, not have... so dissimilar to this with Red State. Remember, he went on like Red a, State. a national yeah. tour with Red State. And that was dope because he was there. How, how, is it not even cooler to even have the people? You're not just getting the showing there. You're supposed to get the entirety of the people there. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. What What do you mean you're not going to put it up on? Streaming is one thing. I feel like it almost got straight bullets because they hated streaming so much. I feel like it's something against streaming. And then they right. said include DVDs, include any video on demand. That makes absolutely no sense to me because yeah. of what you said. So many people have seen and discovered this director's work. Tilda Twinton's work, who is also uh, a partner in creating this vision mm-hmm. through VOD. Through streaming services. Makes absolutely no sense for me. And here's the thing. I'm not even taking it seriously. <laughs> sure. Well, okay. Here, here's the other thing. I kind of feel like what's realistically going to happen is that uh, Apple or Paramount Plus is going to buy Neon in five years and just throw this movie on Paramount Plus. No? Like, That's the other part of it that makes some sense. Yeah. 
<laughs> like they're saying like, forever. Hulu already it's like, has all these rights. Yeah. Why? In the in if this age of film distribution, like forever isn't that long, and, and things change, and like Quibi was only supposed to be available on your phone, and now it's coming out on Roku. So yes, it is elitist for the people who don't live in these big cities because they are not going to go to every single city. They're going to go only to the big cities. They are not going to uh, avoid streaming because then there's a lot of people who can't go to theaters at all. And I yeah. think it's really redundant and pointless and belittles half of the movie going audience, more than half of the movie going audience, because most of the people who find films like this are finding it when they're in college. Like you said, they're finding it years later or whatever it may be. So to just have it be like a museum exhibition. Nah. <laughs> yeah. A uh, couple comments from Brady movie theaters are not the museum. Yep. And then uh, also uh, he doesn't have a problem with the release strategy in theaters, but the rejection of streaming and physical, that's a great point. Like, physical media, like criterion, is apparently not good enough of a exhibition platform for Memoria. Hopefully Quibi picks it up. <laughs> uh, I know we got a couple comments also about uh, another piece of superhero news, so let's hit that quickly. Because um, our boy, Weird Face himself, Will Poulter, is set to play Adam Warlock in the next installment of Yo! Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I, again, I, like it. I don't know what an Adam Warlock is. I think I know what a Warlock he does is. Things. If that's related. He's got, like, powers. I, I assumed that okay. because this yeah, is a Marvel been teasing movie. Him. Um, mm-hmm. They've been teasing him like crazy. So, wow. Actually, he's got... They're going to have to, like, really fluff up his hair, but I, I think it's going to work. I like the picture right there that they're using for him. That's going to be pretty solid, and especially considering the tone and the comedy that is brought in the Galaxy movies, I like that. Yeah, he's a guy who can Good kind of ride that line between serious and comedic well. He's got like a, a villainous face, but he's also got, uh, I feel like, is able to sort of play that for humor. So I, I can imagine James uh-huh. Gunn will, will make take that to advantage. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the second installment of Guardians of the Galaxy, but I still think okay. there's a lot of people love it promise in the franchise and and, and that group of characters so yeah i i like this I, I mean just the circumstances in which the third one was written i know he had it ready and then after everything that he went through and stuff like i'm, I'm excited for that script dude mm-hmm. yeah totally so this this works for you as casting like you your knowledge of oh, the character beautiful. works yeah he just needs to get a little buffer so they all go through that program. They all get the steroids. They all get the personal Marvel trainers. got the money. They, they'll Kumail Nanjiani him, him for sure. Him and Tenoch might have been even working out. We don't even know. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, uh, good look for our boy, Will Poulter. I, I feel like we uh, we repped him during that movie stars under 30, knowing that he had some potential for the future. And l- look at him now. Look at him now. Good for him. Yeah. All right, so uh, I think that's it for the movie news that we're going to hit. I- I'm going to switch it up to some of the New York Film Festival movies because there's a lot of stuff worth talking about. Uh, let's get back to Memoria, though, uh, because that is one of the films that I was able to catch over the past week. Fortunately, it's not a film I liked very much, although check out my friends here on Letterboxd. I am definitely in the mi- minority. Not a lot of people... Uh, well, maybe a couple people, but most people are pretty high on this one because, it, you know, there are, is undeniable beauty here. There, there's beauty in just about every 
uh, we're a Sithical movie that has been made, you know, and I, I even enjoy getting to those moments of beauty, but in order to experience that transcendence in one of his films, you have to sit through, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes of just like excruciatingly <laughs> slow cinema shots that last for like five minutes uninterrupted of, of people nice. sitting in fields, walking across Ooh. those fields, standing, mm. sitting, standing up and sitting down somewhere else. It, it, it is a very, very patiently assembled movie. And I can't really say that it's like bad. I can only say that my ADD is too bad to really appreciate what's going on here. Right? Like I just, I think this is a me problem, not a him problem. But if you are also somebody who's maybe a little bit bored by slow cinema, I just don't know if this is where I would recommend you start. I would, I'd maybe recommend you, you check out, uh, uh, tropical malady or, or uncle boon me, some of his other films, because I just found there to be a little bit more, um, than what I found from memoria, you know, obviously you have Tilda Swinton here doing a really incredible performance. Uh, she, she's mesmerizing. You know, she, she said during the New York film festival Q and a that I was at, that she didn't think of Jessica, her character as a person, but rather as a predicament, which is the kind of thing that when Tilda Swinton says it, it's like, all right, that's you, such a total. That, yeah. that, sure. I get it. I get it. I think, um, but you know, it, when it, when it does work, when, when all the things that they've been kind of letting wash over you, all the all the sound design, all the beautiful Colombian scenery, all of the uh, predicaments wash over you, and it, it, it comes to certain moments, it feels worth it. Like, it does have a pretty killer ending. I got to give it to them. Uh, okay. I just don't... It's a movie that I don't... I did not enjoy watching. I kind of just enjoyed having seen it if that makes sense right like i can't recommend it for the experience yeah, of sitting it's down in a movie theater but i can recommend it for like having the knowledge of what that movie did so maybe memoria is for you maybe that sounds like way too slow for you uh shout out to what's the matter going saying that it's a meditative movie it's absolutely a meditative movie um but i just don't think it worked for me uh so shout out to memoria uh, maybe it'll hit a city near you soon. <laughs> Another movie that played at the New York Film Festival that I liked quite a bit is Hit the Road. This is the new film nice. from Pana Panahi. And if that same name sounds familiar, despite the fact that this is his debut, it's because he is the son of Jafar Panahi, the uh, acclaimed filmmaker of his own right, who we've covered on this podcast before, the, the dude arrested by the Iranian government and told to stop making movies, who then made went and made like the five goal, more movies. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we, the goat. we like Jafar. He's, a, he's an awesome filmmaker, a really interesting oh, so guy. This is his kid. Yeah. Wow. So that that made me super interested. How do, how do we know it's not just his dad, <laughs> right? Coming through the kid under the pseudonym or something. <laughs> What's crazy is that you know that's like right up his alley, especially yeah. with what he did with the last one, with with only three short films and then combining them because he wasn't allowed to make a feature, but he could make three. <laughs> oh, all yeah. right. So this one's good because I'll be catching this one in Chicago. Yeah, this one is very good. Um, <laughs> I was. Uh, I, was, I saw this one with uh, Carson who said, like, at first it reminded him of Little Miss Sunshine. And, like, I totally see that because it's this family road trip thing. Okay. Uh, and, and right away, I think what's really good here is 
uh, Panahi gives you a sense of who all these characters are and their relationships to each other. You know, they're they're very uh, strong characters who ha- are, are carrying a lot of history. Obviously, as family, but there there's open resentments. There's frustration. They're they're tired of being on the road with each other already by the time that this movie starts, and it lets you kind of get these very humorous moments, these very uh, fun interactions. Uh, the, the loose premise here is that a mother and father are driving their elder son um, towards the border so that he can cross it, at, while their younger son, who doesn't know what's going on, is along for the ride. But it's really about these moments, about the characters that they come across, about these cinematic flares, these like, like very beautiful, fantastical things that happen to them. Uh, I just thought it was a very delightful film, despite some of the sort of heavy elements that... Uh, you know, make their way into the film through some of the dialogue and things like that. It, I loved it quite a lot, to be honest. I, I think it's a great time. I think it's a, a, a great piece of uh, character filmmaking. So highly recommend it. Hope you get to check that one out too. Um, Will do. <laughs> uh, what else do we got from... Oh, Anwar Kasi said that can't wait to watch it. The Road. Yeah, it's a good one. Definitely recommend that one. Uh, moving on to some more films that played at the New York Film Festival. The Closing Night film was the latest from Pedro Almodovar. It's Parallel mm. Mothers. Uh, and Almodovar is a great filmmaker. Hopefully you've had a chance to see some of his work in the past. Um, there, there's a whole bunch. He Just like iconic, great. iconic filmmakers. So many uh, big The movies. fact they didn't submit this... Is insane, and I was hearing a lot of talk about that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, they submit his movies a lot, so I guess they maybe are just tired of it. But this is a great film, and it also is a film that's so integral to Spain that I'm surprised they're not uh, putting more attention on it. Uh, here, he's kind of doing two things. He's one talking, telling the story of these unmarried women who are pregnant and uh, give birth at the same time and sort of the different trajectories that they take as mothers and how their stories become uh, intertwined, how they can't sort of uh, escape each other in a way. Um, And meanwhile, there's this other story going about, going on about the sort of lasting legacy of the Spanish civil war and this unrest in the communities that are trying to find, bring some resolution to the pain they've experienced. Uh, Penelope Cruz opens this film asking uh, someone to help her excavate a gravesite where she believes that her uh, great-grandfather is buried. So you have these two diff- different elements kind of guiding you through the film uh, that sort of... And, and I think one thing that Almodovar does really well is that he gives you a nice balance of like real-life drama, human human elements, and then this sort of like... Uh, greater mystery, these kind of like almost uh, like almost fantastical elements that things that are are could only happen in movies. It feels like, uh, and I think it's mm-hmm. just a very intriguing uh, mix of tones here. That's particularly well done because you have Penelope Cruz giving a great performance as she tends to always do in his movies. But uh, here's yet another one. I also really liked uh, Melina Smith who plays the other of the two mothers here. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting film, one that I'm sure other people will be able to dive way deeper on, people who have uh, a greater knowledge of uh, you know, the history of the Spanish Civil War and, and the types of things that mm-hmm. Amadovar is trying to evoke here. But 
there's a lot to chew on and I definitely worth it's one that's going to keep you thinking after you see the film. It was one of the first to sell out of Chicago so I'm I'm hopefully going to get a chance to sneak in there. <laughs> yeah, uh I'm definitely going to I'm hoping you can see that one too uh cuz it's a really good one again the closing night from the New York Film Festival. Uh but and Brady's right. Not only did he have Pain and Glory in 2019 but last year, you know, he was like Kendrick when even if he didn't have an album, he had a mixtape out. He released that short last year with Tilda. So it's like this man doesn't sleep. Yeah. Uh, he's always busy Almodovar always cranking stuff out and yeah like you mentioned that uh, The Human Voice with Tilda last year was a great short film I really enjoyed on HBO the big one though the big film from the New York Film Festival Dune uh, which already made its debut at a couple other film festivals but I finally got the chance to see it I know you've been very curious about this one it's our boy Denis of course, the man, the myth, the legend, maybe the the great hope for blockbuster filmmaking. The best filmmaker of our generation right now. Best and- filmmaker alive right now, working today. I've said it before, I say it again. I reserved two seats for this a month ago. Tickets weren't on sale. I just took the two seats out of the IMAX theater so they couldn't be reserved. I've been waiting for this one. Zach, why is that like? Why is that heart not filled in? <laughs> maybe I need to see it again. Uh, and maybe I just need to see part two because that is that is one thing that you have to kind of preface is that this is very much part one. If not even like in the Marvel, you'll see Captain America okay. again. Part one, like this is this is a part one, like an episode one. Um, okay. Yet I was riveted by this one. I was awed by this one. I kind of really, really, really like this one it, it, in terms of. Epic blockbuster filmmaking, I'm not sure there's much more you can ask for than sick-ass outfits, sick-ass dragonfly spaceships, Jason Momoa showing up and being like, what up? Um, just just like all the fun stuff. A great cast here. I didn't even realize Javier Bardem was in this until I heard his deep voice. Uh, great cast, really great scenery. The score from Hans Zimmer just sort of you know, transports you and like makes you feel things. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be awesome okay. to see it in the, the surround sound in the theater. Um, you know, that's the that's really the best way to see. The, uh, you, this is a movie that earns that big screen reputation, right? Um, okay. It's in terms of its plot. Like I was lost in in a little. I want. I don't. Not, I don't want to say I was lost. I would say that like I wasn't fully involved or like felt like I knew everything that was going on, but I knew enough. I knew that there was sort of palace intrigue and like betrayals happening enough to carry me through and kind of give me enough room to focus on the, the effects and the, the, the visual presentation, just the, (laughs) the, I don't know the, the, the showiness of it all, right? Even if it's not necessarily showy in the traditional sense, Villeneuve has his own way of giving you a showy quality through these very these very uh, dynamic uh, setups and these really epic landscapes. And man, it just it, it's a film that feels as big as the movie screen. You know, it, it feels like it need from nice. from that huge ass sandworm to the all I want. To those spaceships, like it earns that uh, blockbuster feeling. So, I was transported. I just had a good time. 
yeah, it didn't really resolve at the end, but I never really expect these movies to anyway. So I don't know. I was into it. I, I, I'm going to be back for part two. Should that ever come? Stop. Don't say that, bro. <laughs> I still don't get why he didn't film. He should have filmed them back to back. Obviously, it's all up to the money yeah. part of it. But yeah, he should have secured that and just automatically had that Lord of the Rings style already filmed. But uh, I just I hope they do. I hope they finish. I've, I've even been hearing from some people because I don't know if you read uh, the book. I've been I have it upstairs. I've I been putting it. it under my pillow sleeping because I hope hoping that I wake up and uh, get all 700 pages in my mind. But I hear that it's almost like a third. Like, yeah. It's not just part one that it's like part one of three. <laughs> yeah, the, a lot of people are saying that it really, really is like the beginning of what's happening. And look, look, I haven't read the book, so I can't tell you exactly how much um, of the story they did or did not cover. But it, for for what it's worth, like they seem to be selling Zendaya as kind of like or Zendaya as like the female lead of this this story, and she's barely in this movie, man. Like, like. No, 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 no spoilers. But she almost doesn't show up by the time that this movie ends. It is, it is really like teasing you for what's to come. Uh, I don't mind that, but that I'm sure it's going to bother some people. Um, I just was really enamored by by the vision of this world. Uh, Devesh mentioned uh, something about the effects. Uh, whether or not they were fixed, because some of it doesn't look good in the trailer. I mean, you know, I, I got to be honest that I'm not somebody who's typically super critical of uh, visual effects, mm -hmm. but to me, they all seemed kind of awesome. Like, not necessarily... There, there is that one moment, you know, I think I actually know what moment he's talking about, where it looks like his face is painted in. That's the one moment that stood out to me uh, as not seamless but it's the only moment that stood out to me as kind of not seamless for what it's worth so i didn't have a problem with the effects for the most part in this movie um i want to see it again i'm checking I for tickets it. for you yeah i'm checking checking for tickets for you at the what is it the lincoln an amc up north in new york as the that's a big imax bro you know how big i am with imaxes that is one of the best imaxes in the country yeah. if you don't go rewatch it there bro you got one seat. It's a handicap seat in the front, but I think you can score it, Zach. <laughs> Before the rat from Central Park buys it from you, you need yeah. to go secure this seat. Yeah, I, I might have to wait for uh, the second weekend for, for my Dune screening since I've already caught it. But uh, I, I do think I want to see it again on the big screen. Like, I didn't get that IMAX experience, but I still enjoyed it. You know, I, I know there's a lot of, like, the a lot of people are kind of like, IMAX or nothing. But, like, I just wanted to see Dune. On a, That's me. Um, That's me. <laughs> I, I, I look. It, it it justifies it. That's what I will say. Is like it really does okay. justify that big screen experience. And I'm sure I would have maybe even like got a little bit more of that epic feeling had I seen it in IMAX. I'll go back and I'll let you know. But uh, I'm very curious to see what uh, you get story, out of it when we get to it. Story wise, would you rewatch it on HBO Max? Um, I might. You know. Um, I think it depends on how soon I feel like I'm going to see it again. Uh, if I can, you know, okay. figure out a time that Caitlin and I can make it to the theater, the theater, maybe I'll hold off. But like, if I don't think okay. we're going to go for a few weeks, I might just pop, pop that bad boy on October 22nd. Give it another days? whirl. Yeah. It's fun. I'm like, just I, excited for this one. I'm really hoping. Yeah. 
I could see. Leave it, it to Denny. Denny's, kind of Denny's a person on. who would film as much. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. And I mean that as a compliment for what for what that's worth. Um, all right. Well, so, if the movie could also just be beautiful looking, Blade Runner is one where obviously you need to be paying attention to it. But that's also a movie that you could just have on and just look and be like, wow. <laughs> Didn't Kanye have it on? Kanye just had Blade Runner on that wall yeah. projector that he had when he was doing the album. Yep. So, hey, leave it to Denny. Exactly. Best filmmaker today. Anwar Kassi said, how come Dune is released much later than in Europe? I don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't understand why they decide certain things should be released first in other countries and later in the U.S. Like, this is also uh, No Time to Die, I think, the rest of the world gets before they the They got US. in the U.K. first. That one made sense. Well, not for the rest of the world, but it made sense for it to premiere in London, considering, you know, that's, that's the Brits Captain America yeah, right there. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there have been various things. Like, the Avengers, uh, I know Ultron was released uh, overseas before over here. That's, Could you imagine that's just a that logistics with issue. <laughs> no. Or, right? <laughs> don't even say that. Spider-Man? Don't say that. Oh, man. That's a different multiverse. We don't live in that one right yeah. there. Um, but, yeah, no, I, we're not fans of that, obviously, as, as people know, with all the virtual screenings and everything that we've had going on. We love the accessibility. And, I mean, it just comes down to the territories and the different business options that they make. Yeah, for sure. Real 3D Dune is an option? Uh, I'm not a 3D guy, but would you – do you see anything in this movie being 3D worthy? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It – IMAX seems good enough. I, I don't usually go for the 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's not shot in 3D, no reason to see it in 3D. Yeah, I, because I it's shot in IMAX, shot in you literally have more. Yeah. Danny would never do 3D, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, so yeah. Those are <laughs> text me specifically. <laughs> uh, so those are our thoughts on Dune. Hopefully, y'all are going to get to see Dune soon so we can all talk about it. Uh, maybe we'll get into more on Dune later. Uh, but that's just about it for my New York Film Festival coverage. Uh, a lot of good movies out of the New York Film Festival. I think if I'm just going to do like uh, like a super quick and dirty top five, uh, I put I'd put um, the worst person in the world at number one, Red Rocket at number two, uh, Drive My Car at number three. Maybe I, I'd go uh, Dune at number four and then Hit the Road at number five, but all five. Really, really strong. Oh, you know what? I missed Come On, Come On. So I think I got to kick, hit the road off of that top five and throw Come On, Come On at number two. And we just secured those tickets, boy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the only one out of all those that you have that's not going to be at SIF is uh, Red Rocket. But I think that may be at the Critics Fest, so we'll see. Very cool. I'm excited. Very cool. All right, so I think let's wrap this up with uh, some new to sees. Talk about the movies that are in theaters or on streaming or available to the people right now. Uh, Art, why don't we kick this off with a little bit more talk on Squid Game. Uh, I know a lot of people... I know a lot of people are really into Squid Game. It's the uh, most hyped thing on the internet right now. It's apparently the biggest show Netflix has ever had, if you're to believe their numbers, which... In this case, I kind of want to believe it, given uh, that it's, you know, the chatter of all social media, the chatter of, like, my friends. Like, I that's how I know that something has really transcended is when I get my friends texting me about it because they, they don't give a shit about the stuff that I watch. But they, they, want, they want to talk about Squid Game. <laughs> Relatives who haven't talked to you in years going, hey, have you seen have Squid you seen Game? Episode Do you six? know about season two? <laughs> So what did you think? Uh, yeah, so you talked about it a little bit last week. I, I 
finally caught up with that a bunch of the whole series. Um, I was impressed with how much this show caught me off guard and surprised me, especially at first. Uh, there's a moment very early on. Uh, I think it's episode two, and like I, I'll try and say this without spoilers, but like they they have to make a decision about what's going to happen going forward. And you know, you're on episode two, so you're like, well, this it's obvious what decision they're going to make. And then they make the opposite decision, but make it make sense. Uh, they, they they are able to do surprising plot twists that feel justified and and kind of keep you guessing. I think through basically the first five episodes, and then it gets to episode six, which everybody is kind of like highlighted as the big episode, the, the really impactful gut punch episode. And, and maybe it's because I knew that everybody was really excited about that one that it uh, I didn't respond to it as highly as everybody else did. It's when the show start, stopped surprising me and started um, playing into my expectations a little bit more. Um, they've set up a really interesting world and set up characters that you care about. So I was still compelled and, and interested in how those interactions would play out. But I guess when I saw what was coming um, a little bit more easily, it just made it a little bit less uh, uh, of a show that I was just like, delightfully surprised by from moment to moment. Um, so I still liked it. I don't know if it's that deep. You know, people are talking about like, oh, it's really resonating because it's about how capitalism is, is hard to deal with. So like, are, as, is it any deeper than like, hey, people don't have money and they would do crazy things to get a lot of money? Like that, I don't know. That's the first step, I guess, for some. Yeah, it, it, I, I kind of find the social commentary to be a little bit deeper in like the different versions of this type of story, like in the battle royales and Hunger Games is out there. Uh, where this really the platform, where this really exceeds for me, platforms another great one. Uh, is in the design of it, the production design of it. Visually, it is a really eye-catching show. Uh, we talked about it briefly last week. That just. That little that screenshot that scrolls by on your Netflix when it's telling you what you could watch, where you see that like Escher style staircase with the the, the bright pinks and the bright greens and the the masks with the shapes, it's just it it just draws your attention and and looks so dynamic. So I was, you know, TV typically doesn't. Did have you see YouTube? Big... What was that? Netflix has a YouTube channel. And they have an hour-long shot of just the staircase. Really? So they are fully well – I'm going to send you the video, bro. They are fully well aware. You know the Yule logs that they release every year where it's just the fire burning for like 10 hours straight? Netflix literally put together one just for the Squid Game staircase. So you were <laughs> spot on with that. They literally just released yeah. it this past Look, week. They know that they've got something cool there that it's just like cool to watch in the background. Um yeah, I, I think that's a lot of what really works for me about the show is despite it being on TV, which, you know, sometimes there's some budgetary restraints in terms of uh, TV's ability to give you these grand sets or give you these uh, dynamic visuals. That really worked for me. Uh, the the music worked for me, too. Uh, I, I And the performances also were very, very good, I thought, on this. Um, so even though it's, you know, I don't know if it... What, what really does deserve the hype these days, right? Like nothing can really live up to the hype. It's certainly entertaining, but like the, we're talking about like, this is a global phenomenon. Like, what What do you think? What do you think about the whole like global I phenomena mean, of it all? 
Look, everybody's got Netflix around the world. The yeah. ability to be even a, to have a global phenomenon, I think, is a big deal. And um, what was it last year? Tiger King. Yeah. You know, it's like, is there any rhyme or reason for what's going to make one of these big sh- one of these shows really big? Um, like you said, I don't. There's no reason why it shouldn't be. I can see why people enjoy it. Um, could it easily be given to something else? For sure. I mean, you look back at the list, right, that they had in where this is supposed to be the one that hasn't even been uh, considered yet, but it's supposed to have it past Bridgerton and um, Money Heist. It also has stuff like Extraction on there, right? I, it, part of me wonders how much of the algorithm has to play with this because it's yeah. enjoyable yeah. enough. Like, I don't think anybody hates this. I don't think anybody will be bored by it. But I think it all comes down to, like, how they push it yeah. that ends up on people's feeds. Uh, the people from Netflix have come out and said that they have these algorithms ready to go. Are they not the ones who released that documentary about how they, your phone has these gears and everything it'll profile on you? Social They're phenomenon. the ones who released that. They're literally the ones who released that. So when I see uh, something like Squid Game um, and it being a foreign language um, a foreign language uh, production that has complete English subs, as we've always talked about. Netflix is really big on having that because they know a minute in, if people have to read subtitles, they'll leave. So they forcibly pay for subs uh, or dubs. dubs. There's also been a lot of discussion on the dubs for this one, not just the dubs, but even the subs on how it's not fully translated. There's uh, you know, that dilemma as well. But nonetheless, right. it's still ready for international audiences to go into it, not just in English, but in any language that you want it to. They make it as accessible as possible. So mm-hmm. shout out to Netflix. Really? Yeah. I think I think it's a solid show, but I think it's more of an attribute to Netflix that this always has something going as opposed to for HBO. It's when it's Game of Thrones. I don't have anything on Peacock. Paramount. We're waiting on Prime to release what? Lord of the Rings. So right. for Netflix to have something as tiny as Squid Game that no one's not no one's radar it becomes something that be, uh, that ends up being word of mouth. Um, that thing uh, more of a positive for Netflix to show that they've really. They, they know how to release things. They know how to put it on your radar. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it's not catching, bro. We're going to see this all over in Halloween, man. People could be dressed in <laughs> yeah. these outfits. For sure. Good lord. I, 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 look, we, something that we can speak to just from our own experience with the YouTube platform, um, the thumbnails and the algorithms play a much bigger role in something success than people ever give them credit for. And... Mm-hmm. The Netflix algorithm this is that. figured out that 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 uh, this would be a hit with a bunch of people. They figured out that that screenshot is super compelling. I mean, like just anecdotally, you know, and Caitlin brought it up to me as soon as she saw it. Like, what is that? Is that a reality show? Is that some kind of movie? Like, you, it just kind of catches your eye. Even the name Squid Game is a little bit like, what does that mean? Um, it, it's it's it does its job of catching your attention and bringing you in, and then it is kind of bingeable, kind of like just you you need to find out what happens next enough that it carries you through it. It doesn't necessarily have to be the the most artful thing or the the crappiest thing either. It just it has that something that just like draws your attention engagement. and and yeah, really works for engagement. And I do think it's it is good enough that it also was able to sustain word of mouth, right? Like. People mm-hmm. people enjoy talking about this. People enjoy thinking about what they would do in this. I, I think I saw somebody tweet that like people we should just <laughs> people enjoy thinking about what would happen if like it happened to them. Uh, some I saw somebody yeah. on Twitter say 
uh, we should get one of these battle royale style movies once every five years. And like, I'm surprised we don't get them more because every time we, whether it's Squid Game or Hunger Games, you know, uh, I, you I, yeah, that's what it is. People would do anything funny and they see a movie and they're like, all right, I can live out through there instead. Right. Look at the purge. That, that's what made the purge so big. That's what literally caused the purges to become the type of stories that they were, is that they literally yelled at the creators and said, Wah, why is it inside a house? Make mm-hmm. it the whole thing. So they did. And now what are we at? It's the forever purge. So when it comes to Squid Game, you just have a bunch of people who would be like, man, I'd win this game on the first day. I mm-hmm. think that's what, what the real big draw is for people as well. So Yeah. Uh, Magnitude points out that it didn't have a lot of marketing until it became this immense hit. I mean, I would say that like, even though it doesn't have a lot of the tradi- traditional marketing, for Netflix, big marketing is just putting it in front of you, having it show up on one of those times. Mm-hmm. Like that just it matters so yeah. much. And I know from like anticipating the release of the disciple and then just literally not being able to find it when I searched disciple on Netflix, like how Netflix places their stuff is hugely important. Exactly. Hugely important. It's it's that it's you that ever watch YouTube something? front homepage ification of uh streaming content. Exactly. You ever watch something and you go back and it's not even you're continue watching? This has never left my screen, no matter what. It is yeah. always there, and that's the biggest part of it. It's that it's while you're on the platform, they're gonna put all that money in there and making sure that you see it, and then whatever hits, whatever hits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so that's Squid Game. <laughs> uh, let us know what you think about Squid Game because it definitely has caught a lot of people's attention. Um, were you able to avoid spoilers? Because I, I got spoiled on a couple things. I was upset about that. Um, I mean, by the time, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. By Alina. <laughs> oh, because she was just watching it. <laughs> oh, from inside your own home. But, yeah, it was just why I was like, "What's going on here?" It's like it's a Marvel game. I was like, "Who's winning?" And she just <laughs> just told. Um, um, two. Go ahead. I was going to say something else, but if you if you have another thing, uh, no, I was just going to give my two picks on Hulu for the week. Oh yeah, in case go ahead. you know someone has Hulu, they don't have Netflix. Uh, I would say Gunda, one of the documentaries that we really enjoyed from last year, is finally getting its release because Neon has a deal uh, with Hulu, unless it comes down to Memoria, where they are releasing their stuff virtually after a bit. So if you were curious to catch Gunda. Not going to be for everyone. Super pretentious. No score. Black and white. You're just following a pick. If that sounds exhilarating for you, catch it. It's on Hulu this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, give it a watch if you are intrigued by it. I also highly recommend a lot of the uh, interviews from the director. He gives a lot of the backstory of his own, excuse me, Gunda that he grew up with. So that is on Hulu if yeah. you are interested. I know I had a little bit of a limited release. Yeah, I, I have Did you catch? About- uh, sorry, I was just gonna say I've talked about Gunda plenty on here, but like it's like if Emmanuel Lubezki took his camera out to the farm and, and captured these uh, animals. It's it is immaculate beautiful. looking. If you're somebody who who just really responds to beautiful cinematography, uh, definitely catch it. And also, if you just think it's cool the way that filmmakers can take animals that who don't speak things and then make you feel their emotions just through the power of movies. I, I was blown mm-hmm. away by some of this movie. So yeah, now that it's available on Hulu, I'm hoping more people see Gunda. What else were you going to talk about? Uh, go watch Pig, Gunda, and then go catch Lamb. Uh, also, sticking on Hulu, the premise. Zach, I never thought I'd say the words. Did you catch the new BJ Novak? <laughs> no, I haven't seen this yet. Um, I gotta say, it, even though I read some like mixed stuff about about it, uh, they're playing the ads on Hulu a lot, and. <laughs> 
I know you, you're not a fan, but whenever Lucas Hedges is like, I don't know what to do with this feeling. Should we make a music video with it? I laugh very hard. So tell me what you think about BJ Novak's comedic Black Mirror. Uh, to a degree, it's not as much Black Mirror as it is just like, as he says it, it's a premise. Uh, it, he uh, is a producer on the show, writes a lot of them. He comes out, very Alfred Hitchcock at the beginning, and he goes, hey, it's BJ Novak. Uh, this is the premise. And he goes through it. The first one is Dear Evan Hansen um, having a, a sex tape that just so happens to show the police doing something in the background. And he's got he's to be like, am I a social justice warrior who's willing to put this on the line? Or do I have to recount everything uh, with my ex-girlfriend who I shot the sex tape with? The Lucas Hedges one was also not that bad because it is a, it's about this dude who has uh, promised his uh, old high school that whoever becomes valedictorian, he's going to sleep with them. Um, my personal favorite, the one that really stands out because it is mixed, bro. There's only one that I actually really, really like. The rest are just like enjoyable. The best one is the one with John Bernthal. He Ooh. is a father who lost his daughter to a shooting and he decides to go apply as the spokesperson for the NRA. That one, I think, is super solid. The rest of the rest of them are interesting, though. They they get really goofy at points. They, uh, you know, maybe at times kind of drag. But I think at the end of it, the whole point is to have this really, you know, out there premise or, or goofy scenario in where it's really just the interactions of the characters and how they would react to it and uh, what they would do or how bonkers um, it gets. But out, out of the five that are out so far. I'd say the one with John Bernthal is easily the best, but I'm curious your thoughts on it. I want you to catch it because, you know what, e even the Lucas Hedges ones, there's honorary Lucas Hedges hater kind of made me laugh. <laughs> so <laughs> the premise over on Hulu, awesome. and I think they're releasing these weekly, but uh, I would highly recommend the John Bernthal one. Very cool. Yeah, man, Hulu uh, really, really trying to compete. Not just be Disney's little brother. They, they got a lot of interesting stuff on there. Uh, it's mm -hmm. Excited for that Only Murders in the Building finale coming up, too. Yes, sir. All right, so I got two picks for the week, I guess, because uh, I guess you could call Mass also one of my picks for the week, since that's a great movie and it's going to be in theaters Friday. But Solid. Uh, one is more of a digital one. The other is in theaters. Uh, it's Let me start with Please Don't Destroy. Do you know Please Don't Destroy? No. Uh, this is like a comedy troupe that uh, has a bunch of videos on YouTube. I find them, I found them through Twitter where they've been retweeted into my timeline quite a bit. Uh, but this trio of guys here, they, they've found some success putting their sketches up on the internet and enough that they are now. Oh, digital shorts. They're now on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and they're apparently going to be, you know, the inheritors of the Lonely Island digital short legacy. Uh, they had their first. One on the most recent SNL, this hard seltzer skit, which I sketch, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but if you find that one funny, uh, or are just kind of curious about who these guys are that are being positioned to potentially be kind of like the new Andy Akiva and Yorma, check out Please Don't Destroy on YouTube. Check out their stuff on Twitter. I find them very funny. They've got a a unique, silly kind of off the cuff, nonsensical style that that works for me. And I think uh, it's gonna probably gonna be some of the stuff that goes most viral from SNL this year. I, I would be willing to wager that bet. I mean, bro, it's been, what, 10, 15 since they've done these digital shorts? They had a whole 
I don't. They could have done a lot more in between. So it's yeah. about time. I mean, they, they keep doing the digital shorts, but they don't have that like same perspective and same personality. And I think because these guys are pretty distinct in how they mm-hmm. do their form of comedy, they maybe will resonate a little bit. So check out. Please don't okay. destroy stuff. But the more traditional pick that I have for this week is our boy Ridley Scott. One Please. of two movies Beautiful. in the fall coming from Beautiful. him. Beautiful. Let's go last duel. Uh, man, I was kind of nervous about this one, if I'm being honest, because like Mass, uh, for some reason, this one avoided all the fall film festivals. And typically, like, if you're trying to do an Oscar play or if you're trying to announce your movie as, like, this is a really big, important film, you get that Venice premiere or you get that TIFF premiere and you, you ride that to build hype in theaters. Last Duel chose not to do that. It's going straight to theaters. Uh, and yet, I really, really responded to this one. It's the n- latest script co-written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. So the Goodwill Hunting Boys. <laughs> Who let them in again, together bro? Together again at last. Also handing off the reins to Nicole Holof Center to do some of the writing. Nicole Holof Center, mind you, not exa- exactly a shabby filmmaker Ooh. to her own credit, has done okay. quite a bit of good stuff. So uh, you have a really deft trio writing the story here and then uh for the cast you've also got jody comer you've also got adam driver joining the boys from boston here uh and it's in a story that has let me cue myself up rashomonic qualities i love that word rashomonic uh it is a a split structure in that they're giving you the story from different people's perspectives and you kind of learn a little bit more about uh, the story through each retelling of it. I really ended up liking this one, even though it is a weird mix of ideas. There's kind of like a epic action medieval uh, brut- brutal movie here with like very upsetting deaths and bloody uh, bloody moments and, and just very like intense action that you would expect from a Ridley Scott movie the, uh, given he's the dude behind Gladiator and such uh, but then there's also this like very interesting like takedown of masculinity and machismo and like uh, calling these guys out for being bloviating idiots and then also there's a harrowing like rape revenge story that ties it all together it feels like these stories shouldn't all exist within the same film they do and it is amazing and i wish there was more drunken ben affleck to share with the world because it is it is an amazing performance and if there were justice in this world he would be getting a best supporting actor nomination this year i really like we'll the see. last duel man i liked it way more than i thought i would what what did you think man i have not seen this i put it on the thing oh, because i have it as my no, I have it as my one thing that I want to see in theaters. Halloween Kills is going to be on Peacock. It's going to be in theaters as well, but it's the last stool that I'm excited to go see. So I have not caught it yet. Here's the biggest part of it, though. The Chicago Film Festival is playing, and it's taken all the biggest screens. Really? Venom's out. Uh, no time's out. Halloween's out. I believe may get the digital. I, I wanted to see this on a, on a massive screen because everyone keeps saying the actual duel lives up. And I, I might as well just, I don't know. Jay's pointing out that when it gets here, Jay's pointing out to me that uh, Last Duel showed up at Venice. So I, I had that wrong, but usually it does oh, more it? than just a Venice uh, showcase. Like usually mm-hmm. a movie that's coming out this quickly, it'll show up at a couple of the other fe- festivals still. And I just don't remember hearing that and much. And Ridley with Gucci it. just didn't. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know, but I I was really really into it. Um, I'm hoping you catch this one soon. Uh, what's the matter? Is that it looked super meh from the trailer? I get that it it didn't have really? the best trailer, um, but I like the trailer. I this is really good, man. It really really works for me. I thought it was like there's elements of it that are pretty campy, and I think it's intentionally so. Like there's a little moment where where Adam Driver does a thing with his like cape, and like at least for my theater, everybody cracked up. So. I, you know, it's one of those movies that might not play as a comedy if you don't watch it with a crowd. I think this is very intentionally a comedy in lots of moments, and it worked for me. It's it's very very funny. Okay. The performances are very broad and hammy. I, I don't think this is an Oscars movie, despite what some people thought. Given the uh, big name talents attached to it, it's kind of more just like a straight entertainment piece that you know has some mm-hmm. some interesting things to say. Um, but I. I really liked it. I thought it was much better than I than I expected to. I saw it the same day as Dune. I might have liked it a little Stop. bit more than Dune. Stop. Yeah, yeah, so thank you guys for watching the, <laughs> the show. Uh, you can catch me at LV Explained on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah, you should I know be. someone it's had asked good. between uh, Last Duel and I didn't see what the other movie was, if they had to pick one of the two between uh, Lamb, I think it was, mm. Lamb or Last Duel, which to see in theaters from what you're saying, clearly The Last Duel. Yeah, I mean, like, I also really liked getting to see The Last Duel with an audience, you know, getting to, to hear people laugh. At the strange mm-hmm. pr- pronoun- uh, pronunciations of certain things, or like the the silly little moves they do, or uh, it's just it's just a fun movie. I think I think these are guys who are very much in control of their performances too. And I I don't know, man. The there's boat? maybe a little bit of it. Maybe drags a little bit too much. Uh, there's something that happens with movies that lean heavily on flashbacks where because you've already seen what happens, you're a little bit like, all right, let's, let's get to the new stuff and retreading. Yeah. I, mm. I felt that a little bit, but I don't know if I minded it so much because they're also kind of showing you how you take a different perspective and it gives you a new pers- new light on what actually occurred, you know? So I like this one. Uh, keep it on your radar. I think that is it though for our picks for the week. Um, we can stick around for a second and mm-hmm. answer some questions if anybody's got them. Uh, but I don't know, man. Uh, what what is what are you excited for? T- tell me a little bit about your upcoming week. I think the Chicago Film International Film Festival starts before the next time that we talk. So what are you, what are you trying to catch? Yep. Should be starting this Wednesday. I'm trying to see as many as I can virtually. Some of the ones that I'm excited for. Uh, I know that they will have showings for Come On, Come On and Belfast. But I'm literally the top five that you had, man. That's mm-hmm. the one that I want to get. I want to see Worst Person in the World. That's one has been on my radar. I want to see all three hours of Drive My Car. Um, so, yeah. I mean, by next Monday, I should have a, a good good couple of picks. Um, and last two as well. Lamb. And uh, Lamb. I won't get a pillow. But I am excited to see the rescue as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, the rescue is definitely good. I'm I'm very curious to see what you think of all those movies. A lot of stuff on the slate. I'm definitely going to try and catch Lamb this week. I'm going to try and catch No Time to Die this week. I'm going to try and catch Mass again this week. Uh, and yeah, there's some TV too. Like uh, like I said, Only Murders in the Building. I think it's coming up on its finale, so I wanted to see that. Okay. Um, oh, Scenes from a Marriage. Jim Cummings' new movie will play. That's going to play uh, Chicago, be right? At, at uh, Chicago. 
Yeah, so yeah. that's, that's in on our radar. person only. They, Zach, exactly. they had virtual. They, I know because I printed out the schedule. You, you can, after I've printed it out, I know it says virtual on there. Virtual and in person. Well, see, go it's going to, to it's going to VOD same day as same day as it's hitting theaters now, which is so frustrating because like why are you vir- are you not doing virtual screenings for the early whatever? I I don't get why he was so yeah. insistent on the in person thing at that point. It, like this was like February 2021, I think, where it was playing Berlin. Like nobody was vaccinated then, and he was like, no, in person only. Uh-huh. My movies are made for the big screen. Only in theaters. Jim Cummings. One week. Never going to be in streaming. It's a museum pick only. But we'll see. I'll be catching it. Yeah. I still want to see the movie. I'm just annoyed by the pretension of it. Like, I, that bothers me way more than Christopher Nolan being like, Tenant is made for the big screen. <laughs> At least he shot his at IMAX. Yeah. Uh, Although I'm nervous to talk about... With... I was just going to say, I'm nervous to talk about Jim Cummings bad and publicly because he probably follows half of us. You know? No, he used to. Oh, yeah, he unfollowed us all? He followed all 17,000 people who he uh, did follow for follow They did for. not play did beta you test virtually at Tribeca. They did not. Jay, you're They lying. did it. I know, because we were there. We were there. Um, that's on Blonde with Ana de Armas getting an NC-17. I'm so excited for that. I think that Netflix would let an NC-17 cut slip through their fingers, but... Um, from what I hear, this the movie gets like very dark and very sad towards the end. And knowing that the Andrew, D- so does the book. Yeah, yeah. So like knowing this is Andrew Dominic, no. Uh, I'm not sure who is the director. I'm, I just know that this movie was supposed to be even pushing like three hours, and it coincides also with the news of what happened with one of our favorite Sundance ones, Pleasure, and how that got picked up by um, A24, only for A24 to want to have two cuts. They wanted to do an edited version that they were going to do in theaters, but still keep the NC-17, and they were like, Andre 3000's Andanda, Andanda, and they were like, nah, we're only going to have one version, so then they gave it up over to... Um, uh, Neon, I believe, who's not going to be releasing that one. So, I mean, Netflix has everything, so they're going to be pushing it. Yeah. Uh, so, Andrew Dominic is the guy behind... Uh, here, let me pull this up. Uh, he is the guy behind the assassination of Jesse James by the guy Robert Ford and Killing Them Softly. Uh, Killing Them Softly, in particular, has like some really dirty, dark depictions of like drug use and stuff that makes me feel like that he's going to be he's going to really pull this to an uncomfortable place. And I don't know. I just like, I trust Andrew Dominic. I think he's such an interesting filmmaker. Um, I'm, I'm hoping for big things for, for blonde. Um, you know, it, it's part of this whole like wave of Ana de Armas movies we're getting. That's supposed to like launch her to that next level. Um, she's, you know, she's a weird choice to kind of portray like a Marilyn Monroe type of figure, but I guess it's not like literally her. It's just supposed to kind of be her. Right. It's like one of the, I don't know. Kind of. We'll see. I'm excited for it. Uh, So we got a couple other questions here. Uh, Brady asked thoughts on Timmy in the Wonka costume and that film in general. Uh, Timmy Chalamet is donning the famous top hat as Wonka uh, in a prequel series, I guess, about, uh, it's a prequel movie about, the chocolatier's origins. <laughs> I don't know, man. Are you excited? You ready to dive into I, that cinematic universe? I have absolutely nothing. No excitement for it at all. Uh, I think all the memes have been funny after you released the picture. 
I didn't realize Wonka was that big of a property. I guess, you know, some people want to be Bond. <laughs> Others want to be Wonka. <laughs> Do you, I don't know. Are you excited for this? No, no. Why would I be? What what are what is there to do? Why do we have to make everything? Why do we have to prequelize everything? I don't care. So we'll see. I don't know. They. It I looks would, decent. Yeah. I don't know. I also kind of feel like if anything, like maybe a Wonka show could be interesting, but like I just feel like a movie is only gonna give you this like very small sliver of like. You know, trying to upend, which I don't, I don't know. It like I just think there's so only so much you can do with a movie. Just thinking about like how Cruella is like this whole made up. I, I don't know. I don't. And I just don't think Timmy Chalamet is like that dynamic of a character. Like I can't see him being as interesting as like a Johnny Depp or Gene Wilder. He he's like a more brooding type to me, not like an irreverent eccentric character. I mean, maybe that's what he's trying to be. I mean, you have yeah. to re- realize, like, Timmy's also on his second half where he's not going to be able to play the teen heartthrob and everything. So he's trying to I don't, he's trying to figure some other iconic roles. Yeah. Um, what else do we got? Uh, Anna Maria asked, thoughts on The Guilty? I don't know if you caught the adaptation of uh, the... Was it originally a Danish film? Mm-hmm. And it's over on Hulu, and I highly recommend it. That is a fantastic feature. The Guilty over on Netflix by Antoine Fuqua, who also has – I feel like he's trying to get everything on streaming. Yeah, he also has every Infinite. Every streaming service. Infinite over on Paramount with Mark – Mark Wahlberg? Yeah. Yeah. I caught that one bored to tears on that one. <laughs> Um, this one isn't bad. It's trying to do an American version of it where now it's taking place in California and one of the issues with him being one of the uh, responders who's taking a call and he realizes that it's a woman in distress is that it's also hard to get to her, not just because of all of the other narrative things that are going on with that scenario, but there's also a uh, fire because it's taking place in Cali. Um, it's okay. I feel that a lot, as we know, a lot of the American versions to these, they don't really... Uh, hype it up to the next level. They're just trying to take the novelty of what made that project uh, really cool. They're like, oh, that's nice. Can we try to spin an American version for this? I think Netflix is the best place to have it on. I don't think you will be bored. I think it's an accessible version of this story. But I think the nuances in the original Guilty play a lot better because a lot of the visual uh, style for this one is close-ups, which Mm. isn't bad because that's what the original has. But it felt like a lot of the close-ups in this one were just like, can we do what they did in the original. Did they do close-ups? Let's do close-ups then. And I'm like, eh, it kind of works. He's, he's, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal's giving it his all. There's a bunch of, um, uh, push-ins on him just like crying and exasperating, but it's all right. It's good. It's decent, but I think the first one just hits a little bit better. Cool. Yeah, I haven't got around to that one. I just, it's a shame, man. Fuqua was a director that I think we were excited about at some point. I actually just went, went and watched uh, Training Day for the first time in many years recently, and like that movie is mm-hmm. still so like thrilling, and like the, the performance is so good. And it. it's just, he hasn't he hasn't quite had anything on that level since then. Um, what's the matter? Asked, have we talked about the humans yet? I don't think I brought up the humans last episode. I, I saw that as uh, virtual screening as part of TIFF. Uh, if you if you follow me on Letterboxd, shout out at Zshevich on Letterboxd. I uh, just passed a thousand followers mm-hmm. on Letterboxd. Um, 
I I've gave that film four and a half out of five because I really really liked it. I kind of want to save some of my thoughts for uh, when we have a chance to go into it a little more in a little bit more depth. But like that's that's one of the movies that like I liked so much that it ended and I I ran it back. Like I wanted to I wanted to see it again. I wanted to see certain moments again. Kind of like dive a little bit deeper into it. I ordered uh, the the book of the play and the previous mm-hmm. play that I think Stephen Karras is the guy who wrote it. I wrote, ordered his previous play so I can read them both. Um, so I'm, I'm like all in on the humans. I thought it was a really interesting uh, look at the kind of alienation that people feel even around their own family. Um, the, the way in which, you know, you can be, you can be a stranger to your loved ones. Um, I, and, and sort of like the, the, the lurk, the, the uncomfortable things that lurk within us. Uh, and, you know, we were talking a little bit about mass and how that's a film that feels like a play, despite the fact that the humans was based on a play. There are many moments where this does not feel um, th- like it's something that should be on the stage. There's a lot of really interesting visual things that happen, even though this is a film that's entirely sent in an apartment. Um, I think he's done a lot with the sound design particular to really, evoke some other ideas here so sure i'm hoping that it uh, can sneak into some of the acting categories for the oscars although like i'm not sure uh that that it ultimately will because it kind of feels like it's a movie that's a, maybe a little bit too small for for that award cycle plus it's getting this weird release where it's coming out day and date uh with it's coming out in theaters and going to be available on showtime i think on the same day yet it's still oscars eligible good thing i just got it then <laughs> right okay um but i i still th- i still highly highly recommend it it's definitely one of my favorites from the year so far okay uh anna maria said have you guys read about the new sean baker film i've seen the new sean baker film unless you're talking about like some casting announcement or something that they made because i'm i'm not that up on uh, what's going on. But if you're talking about Red Rocket, it's really good. I talked about it in the last Intercut episode. You can check that out um, elsewhere. Uh, oh, and Jay also saw Red Rocket, says it's the best film of the year for him. Had a hard time imagining anything will dethrone it except for Licorice Pizza. I, I hear you there. I, I'm saving Licorice Pizza a place in my uh, top five of the year. Also, uh, shouts out Guillermo del Toro has still got a movie around the corner, Nightmare Alley. It's something that uh, might end up mm-hmm. on a lot of top five lists. Oh, um, what's the matter? Says that he uh, stoked about the humans, I believe that is. So shout out to that. Jason Simon Rex for Best Actor for Ed Rocket. I agree with that as well. Um, anything else we got here? Um, we got a question about did either of you see Midnight Mass? I think, Art, you talked about that last episode too. So feel free to mm-hmm. head back and uh, watch that too. Anyway, um, we are going to wrap things up here. I think we, uh, we have a lot more to talk about. We're going to get into some... Exciting stuff soon. We got Succession right around the corner. I think our next episode is going to be a Succession character bracket. So make sure you get your picks in for who is the best Succession character in now. Uh, we Maybe if you have a good enough comment, we'll include it in the next episode. So make sure you're on the lookout for that. And uh, let us know if there's any movies you want us to cover in the future episodes. We'll be on the lookout for them as we uh, 
try to get all these fall festivals, pick up all these virtual screenings and VOD screenings and whatever we can uh, as we keep covering things here on Intercut. Also, a shout-out to our wonderful patrons on Patreon, the Academy-level donors. They are Connor, Andrew Christensen, Tushar Sharma, Ewan Graf, Wasamata, uh, D.A. Zapata. Thank you all who have uh, been supporting the show. Uh, to those, Even those of you who uh, are not at that $5 tier, a reminder that we do a monthly Google Hangout with our patrons, which will be at the beginning of the next month. So if you want to come and chat with us, best way to do that is show your love and support for the show over on patreon.com slash intercutpod. But I think that does a, that about does it for this week. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V, as in... Uh, Ooh, I didn't even pick my V as in. Uh, ICH Art, where can people find more from you? Uh, you can find me over at LME Explain on Twitter, on Letterboxd, here on YouTube. I see some of the other recommendations people are giving us. Haven't seen those, but we'll try to catch up with those. Uh, get them on the what we've been watching for next week, which is where you can catch me every week on the Intercut Podcast. You can catch every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Monday, and please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at IntercutPod to support the show and get updates throughout the week from me, from Art, and from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, don't you think it should cost less to be alive? Yes.